Welcome to the latest episode of the R. Bill Simmons podcast. Have a special one for you tonight. We've got a guest that uh, I know from Twitter. I'm Tribe here, and we're bringing in Mike, who I know from a couple different places on Twitter. We'll get into that later in the pod, but um, how you doing, man? I'm doing fine. Thanks for making the time. It's uh, fun to hop on. Yeah, so we've been chatting back and forth in some DMs uh, for a little while now, uh, wanting to get you on and figured this would be a good time for it. So we're, we're going to dive deep into a lot of different Simmons content. I know uh, you're, you're a Grantland guy, um, big close tournament fan. We're going to dive deep into that. But first, I, I think we got a hit on some Bill Simmons current events because – this guy is a, is a worldwide phenomenon now for his Prince Harry and Meghan comments. Th this is unbelievable. I recorded a 20-minute podcast on Friday. It's by far the most listened to episodes. The outpouring of support among people worldwide for Bill Simmons now is off the charts. So what did you think of the Bill Simmons top Spotify executive um, at his Meghan and Prince Harry comments and what, what that uh, resulted in worldwide? So I'm not as in the loop with those two's podcasting, but have they actually put out like decent content like, or any significant amount of content? I don't think so. I, I think that's kind of Bill's thing is they, they put out 12 episodes of a podcast over two years and 20 million bucks contract. So, I mean, this goes back to like the whole, I mean, the joking like too much too soon is what Bill Simmons would say of like, we had so much money thrown into the media space like um phoebe waller bridge uh at amazon for example like has this like huge amazon contract where she has a, a sort of tv show and still hasn't done anything yet i think donald glover did like that swarm tv show recently but i mean it's just indicative of just how much capital was flowing into the space over the past few years i saw like i'm almost not surprised but it's also like ridiculous and i guess i take bill's side Although I think I feel like Bill just typically shoots his mouth off for better for us, right? Yeah, I mean it's a combination of both things. It's it's definitely Bill shooting his mouth off. A a legitimate uh, podcast. I think that should have been taken off. So a producer, a, a legitimate podcast producer, in my opinion, uh, talks to Bill after the fact and is like, "Yeah, let, let's cut that because that is going to make some news. You are going to be aggregated." But I, is yeah, isn't is this what Drew? Sure. Isn't this what killed him at Grantland last time? Like he was like, I think I heard the story once on one of the podcasts where it was like he, some, some podcast producer was like, Hey, I'm going to put this up, but do you want to like check his comments? And Bill was like, no, nah, it's fine. This is the one that got him in trouble and eventually got him fired at ESPN. Oh yeah, that's right. It was the, um, I think it was Goodell. The NFL commissioner didn't have the testicular fortitude on a Ray Rice, uh, something on, on a Ray yes, Rice. That, that, uh, that. That. That sounds correct. Yeah, no, and I think I think you're right. I think what what Bill said after the fact was, "Oh, I didn't even think too much of it. I just recorded it and it was put on." It's like you probably should have somebody. If you're the top sports podcast, you should have someone listening to this podcast after the fact, kind of making sure nothing crazy was said. It's, so you're saying some hire is a bad idea, or was that uh, Shruti or Kyle for this past one? Yeah, I think it was Saruti, which is interesting because I think he's been on the pod recently instead of Kyle. Maybe he's on his on his honeymoon. But yeah, I I, I would have cut those comments. But yeah, having said that, everybody's supporting him, and the only people that I'm seeing that are not supporting him are these huge Megan stands, which run 
Twitter accounts that are, you know, cr- these crazed fans. And it's like, I don't even know that this thing existed, but apparently they're there. But like 98% of the posts that are, are about Bill Simmons in this are just loving that this guy said this. Well, I mean, I feel like the world, I mean, they're not even a royal family anymore, are they? But Megan and Carrie. Um, I mean, there's that great South Park episode a few years ago, like I think last year, which is kind of lambasted the fact that they're so starved for attention. I, I am I am personally sick of the royal family and everything to do with them. So, yeah, I'm I am str- I can't believe I am I can't believe Bill Simmons is becoming coming out golden on this one. Well, and the thing that I love too is that so there's there's the debate back and forth of is Bill Simmons actually doing things for Spotify as an executive or not? No one really knows because clearly they, they bought the ringer. Now, it's my personal opinion that Spotify gave him head of podcast monetization and innovation purely as a safe phasing, a safe phasing, face saving maneuver because they paid so much for it and they've had other acquisitions that obviously haven't worked. Um, the, the Prince Harry and Meghan 20 million deal obviously didn't work either. But they basically gave this title to Bill Simmons to be like, look, you know, not only did we get the ringer, which we're calling a success, even though we're not giving financials, but we acquired this great talent, Bill Simmons. He's the head of innovation. But is he really doing anything? So that was what was so funny to me is like even like CNN, Fox News, the Independent, Daily Mail. The headline is top Spotify executive. I mean, this is just Bill fucking Simmons spouting off his mouth. This is really not like Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify, saying this. It's hilarious that you say that. But I guess I didn't realize that's how that's going. I have not. I don't really follow the news of the blowback. I just like know it's out there. Um, listen, like who are we kidding ourselves? We're calling Bill Simmons like a like a podcasting innovative genius. Exactly. I mean, I heard about the Joe Budden thing. I saw that clip that you put up. Like it does not sound like he's Bill Simmons has never come off as the most technically innovative. I will say though, he has done like for example, Dave Chang has his podcast on the Ringer Network. Is that that's like Bill Simmons's work, right? Like that's because of Bill. I uh, yeah, right? I think he recruits people to the yeah, I think he like I think Larry Wil- Wilmore might be another one where you know yeah. knows people and he kind of brings them on and says, "Hey, be you know be part of the network and you benefit from being on the network and I'll benefit from getting advertised revenue from you." It's kind of a win-win. I, I guess maybe then what what's his, what's the title again? Podcast innovation. Yeah, so with, with, maybe it's like monetization innovation too, which I think is just him stupidly tweeting out like stupid parlays, but whatever <laughs> for his bets. Uh, oh, I mean, I, f- I just feel like at the moment that's the podcast monetization game has been so challenged. So, I mean, why not, Bill? Because I mean, wasn't I remember, of course, like we're talking, like this is like talking about Cuban being the first to do digital radio and coming <laughs> off as a genius. It's like I remember Bill saying that like he was one of the like I I, I can't verify any of this because I have I've not followed the space. But for example, like you can't like Bill was talking about how back in the day they already knew that podcast advertising for like Subway was like this big thing that they were doing at Grantland. And it was way bigger than the executives at ESPN were giving them credit for. But so maybe he's like, I don't know, at least he has some record in podcast monetization. 
but I don't know. I I, f- I feel like you know we're we're talking like Cuban and again digital radio. Yeah, no, I I don't buy that at all. I think he was a hundred percent face saving. Now, do I think that Spotify might be interested broadly in better monetizing Bill's podcast? Sure, and I like I think what. It, like what and what spot what Spotify bulls of the stock would say, um, and we'll get into some of, some of this later. But like what what people that are bullish on Spotify or positive on what Spotify is doing is they're basically saying that if they're the best, if they best monetize uh, podcasts through their advertising technology, through their app, through what 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 have you, through video, if they could do that, then they'll be able to pay more than anybody else for the podcast because they make as much money on it. They make more money on than anybody else. And so they will be a leader in podcasts. So that was the view five years ago. And that clearly didn't, didn't happen because now we're seeing all this in decline. So that's why I think when like we might even look back at Bill's sale to Spotify as like one of, one of the great business sales of all time. He timed it perfectly right before COVID, right before people weren't going on commutes anymore. And the guy made off a killing, and he's probably making money on his employment contract too. So B- Bill Simmons, the executive, if he, I think he's underrated. I think this guy, the timing, like I think his content has declined. We'll get into that shortly. But in terms of his business acumen for sales, amazing. Now, business acumen for actually working in advertising, I have seen no evidence he has any experience this at all. And I would not bet on him improving Spotify's products. So the few things, again, this is probably more Spotify's engineers rather than Bill. But for example, so I'm, I'm from a foreign country. And when I go back, I get like targeted advertising now from the country rather than like ZipRecruiter or whatever. So I do think there's like something going on in the back end of like trying to improve the marketing and the targeting that's happening at Spotify. But Again, I don't, I don't follow the stock. So, and that's not Bill Simmons, right? Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's totally not Bill Simmons. That's the point: is how is how is Bill Simmons the head of monetization of podcasts when he very clearly is not coding this stuff or leading a team of engineers to do this? It's not, yeah, it's he, not his expertise. That's totally not his expertise. Completely agree on that part. Yeah. So that so that's funny. Um. Any oh so anything else on that? And then maybe let's briefly touch on the um. The pod today, which was which was kind of funny, but also bad, I thought too. No, I, I mean, I got nothing else really to kind of comment on the whole Prince Harry thing, and I guess them being grifters. Except, I'm, I'm not exactly surprised by how this all went down. I guess the I guess the biggest surprise is Bill shooting his mouth off, but <laughs> I feel like we know his track record well enough to be like that's not exactly uh, uncommon behavior for him. Actually, one question for you, and then we'll talk about today's episode briefly. Sure. Um, which was the bigger grift? Harry and Megan doing 12 episodes of their Spotify podcast for $20 million, or Bill Simmons doing less than 20 episodes of any given Wednesday on his HBO deal? How big was his HBO deal? <laughs> I think it was like $25 million. I think it was several million a year for several years. <laughs> Maybe, maybe this is maybe this is total bias of me being a, of like just anti royal family, but how like I mean I mean giving some giving some listeners the background. 
Like, you and I have just fired up the like fired up the app and we're just talking again. I feel like if you put any effort of, in over two years of doing like twelve episodes, like I like at least Bill Simmons was trying. Had a I presume a writing staff of some sort. Had some silly skits. Like he was taking a like a good college shot at it at least. So I guess I'm I'm leaning I'm pro Bill here. Yeah, which isn't no, saying much. I, I will too. I will too. I do. I do like. Um, I do like the attempt, even though the the final product wasn't great. All right, so let's get into. You know, it was funny that there was this there was the Spotify joke with Joe Rogan on today's podcast with Rosillo, which Bill was you know exceptionally. I mean, that was some of the most that he's laughed. I, I feel like in in, the, in memory. So, like Bill Simmons, is, it, it must have clearly be aware of what is going on at Spotify, at least to the effect of he's following this RFK interview blowing up, and you know, Rosillo is Rosillo is comfortable enough making the joke, and Bill is comfortable enough to laugh a lot at the joke and leave it in the episode. Well, I mean, so I'm not, I'm not super wired into exactly how crazy the rfk comments are but uh people are interpreting them to be very crazy let's just leave it let's just say that without taking a view on it that's what the the collective there's a collective freak out over how he was allowed to do this basically i mean i have seen a few comments online just the whole i mean the the joke was on that on that the, the bill simmons bot today about do you want to debate it it's just like i don't know it's this First off, ridiculous comment, but beyond that, it's, I'm not exactly... I guess I'm surprised that Bill Simmons feels comfortable making that joke, given he just went viral. Like, I'm not sure what goes on at Spotify, but are they, like, definitely, like... I don't know, like, I feel like after that kind of comment, potentially pissing off talent, you would go if you were, like, Spotify, hey, like, we should, like, keep a closer eye on Bill, right? I think a hundred percent and the, the theory that I have and when we'll see, I mean, if, if this podcast gets shut down, then I was probably right. But so Bill Simmons, baby doll Dixon, James, James, baby doll Dixon is his agent. Um, D- baby doll is also the agent of Colbert, uh, John Stewart, I believe Jimmy Kimmel. So he's got this kind of roster of late night guys and somehow Simmons uh, got with him. Maybe it was cause he worked on Kimmel show in the early two thousands. So that agency was bought by Ari, the, uh, what is it, WME? Um, yeah. So WME bought... Um, Ari Emanuel. Yeah, right? yeah, Ari Emanuel. So they they bought Baby Doll's boutique agency in 2015. Okay, so that's, so basically Bill's ultimate, Bill's agent is James Dixon, but he, but James Dixon reports to Ari Emanuel, the head of WME. So what's interesting about this is that in the, the article is talking about Megan. She just hired WME for public relations to improve her image. So, okay. So what kind of stuff would that involve? Well, okay. You represent Stephen Colbert. Let's have Megan go on Colbert for a nice friendly interview. Right. And then you can, you can promote what you're promoting. Heck, maybe you promote your Spotify podcast, what have you. This would also be the sort of thing I think where you would connect, oh, Bill Simmons has a podcast at Spotify. Have her go on the podcast. So I think that angle is interesting because I wouldn't be surprised if Ari has placed a phone call to James David All Dixon, Bill's agent, basically been like, what the fuck, man? Like you, I just took this on. This is going to be a very lucrative uh, 
contract for me if if I do right by uh, Megan, and your your t- one of your top clients totally trashed her. Like get get your guy in line. So that's kind of what I'm thinking right now in terms of if if he's forced to do anything, maybe that would be. But yeah, as you're saying, maybe there's a Spotify angle here too. I wouldn't be surprised at that either because if I'm the Spotify CEO, I want talent coming to me, and I wouldn't be too happy if. Uh, if uh, Spotify gets the reputation that their top executives are trashing uh, this talent as they leave Spotify, that's not great. Yeah, it's totally a bad look for Spotify if they let that kind of behavior continue. So I totally hear you on the point that, yeah, I, I've got to assume that Ari has talked to J- Baby Doll Dixon being like, listen, like, what is your client doing? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, bigger fish to fry here is clearly Harry and Meghan. 100%. Yeah. I mean, Simmons has has posted his apex in terms of money-making. He's not on TV anymore. He has his Spotify deal, which is probably paying him however much his podcast makes. Like, he doesn't really need an agent doing much for him these days. Meghan does, does need one, for sure. Yeah, I mean... I'm just trying to, yeah, because Simmons is clearly, is it widely, is, is that actually a, like a consensus statement that Simmons is way past his prime? Like, in, like outside of Arbel Simmons. You know what? Well, that, this is perfect to, to start on kind of your background with Bill. Yeah, so that's a good question. Is it, so I, I think there's a couple things going on. I think that in the, in the, in the NBA community, I would say, I'm not sure if people agree or disagree that he's past his prime, but I think in the NBA community, because this includes a lot of people that are teenagers, right, coming up and being NBA fans, Bill Simmons is the top voice people react to. They don't necessarily love all his comments, and when he makes up fake trades with Priscilla, uh, those will get aggregated and people respond to it. But, you know, for for whatever reason, whether these teenagers and, like, young 20-year-olds, like, whether they know the history of Bill Simmons – we, they're reacting to Bill Simmons in terms of NBA discourse. Bill Simmons is, is probably the biggest name driving NBA discourse, in my opinion. So in terms of... Even still? What? Even still? like I think like, so, yeah. I, 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 remember, I remember a few... I think, like, wasn't he, like, the special guest commentator voice on like, NBA 2K, like, a few years ago? Do you remember that? I do, yeah. <laughs> yep. I guess because I feel like that's got, that's got to be telling us something that some like guy that's not even on ESPN anymore, but still has like is, has enough clout to get on like the voice of a major NBA video game. So yeah, to your point, I guess he is still a major voice. I just hadn't really. I feel like the issue is that we almost live in this like our Bill Simmons bubble, view him as like worse than he's ever been, but in reality, he's still probably just kind of coasting on his greatest hits, coasting on being this still this innovative monumental figure in the history of sports journalism. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's funny to think about that today, man. Cause I, I was, uh, you're right though. Cause I'm, like he only is limited to the podcast medium, which we're, we're now seeing is not a, exactly a profitable medium. No. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously like this, I, I think he's probably getting millions of listeners, whether per show per month, what have you. So I'm sure he's making, I'm sure he's probably making several million dollars doing it. I mean, if you can do the math on the the podcasting ads, monetization, and whatnot. But yeah, I, I think what's 
what's interesting about him is that for so much of his life he was a writer and so many people don't actually know that because they're all they're doing is reacting to oh yeah like simmons said this on his podcast um or he he might have you know he goes on like colin coward's show for like a few minutes and like you know says some zany stuff and it's like oh what is simmons saying so people don't really know the background but that's why i want to get with you so your your background is grantland with simmons is this correct Yes. So I don't remember exactly how it came on my radar, but there's this great uh, career retrospective on Tracy McGrady that Bill Simmons wrote. Um, and it was just talking about how Tracy McGrady had been kind of screwed over throughout his career of like just being placed on the wrong teams every single time, a little bit of ego of him trying to leave Toronto a little bit too early and I like I think I think a lot about like the arcs of like my own personal career, what it takes to be good, how much of it is luck versus how much of it is luck versus your innate talent. And I think it just kind of really somehow hit home on me that idea that Bill Simmons was kind of conveyed during that entire article of how much situation matters for your career success. So that article has always stuck with me, and I still think about it to this day. From time to time. Um, there's another similar article written by another staff writer on like the career arc of Tom Brady. Hmm. Um, where it's like, yes, Tom Brady is great, but gosh, like he had to get drafted to the right team. Vinny Terry had this like kick me tuck rule game field goal in like insane weather. The Malcolm Butler interception during that Super Bowl that cemented another Super Bowl for Brady. Like if those things don't happen, how do we view Brady? And I just think that kind of whole idea of thinking about careers, thinking about how luck plays into things is such a fascinating question that I constantly think about. I, I like that a lot. I always loved when Bill said, how do we perceive Tom Brady? And this was right before he won the next few Super Bowls, but this was maybe in 2012. How would we have perceived Brady if, instead of winning three Super Bowls in his first four years or whatever it was, he hadn't won for a while and then won three out of the last four and then retired. It would be, it would be very different than when Brady is going to playoffs after playoffs and you're sort of expecting a win versus if he wins three out of the last four and then retires, man, like he climbed the mountain. He, he was going for this win every single year finally got it and then went on a roll. So it would have, it would have been very different. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that I think Bill's great at. And that's what he did in that McGrady article, which was, yeah, he, he's placing it into context and yeah, like, I mean, I, but I actually would think that you, that's an interesting angle that you took from that. Um, you know, pro probably shows the, your, your intellectual curiosity as a person, because I'm assuming most people probably didn't take that away from that article. I, I mean, at the risk of making a joke of these are these are our listeners. How do you think most people took it? They're just like, fuck yeah, like a Trace McGrady article? Yeah, I I guess well, I'm trying to put myself I, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, irrelevant here, but I'm trying to put myself into the shoes of reading it. I guess I wasn't thinking about it in terms of my life. But may, maybe people do, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, out there, let us know when when we post this comment <laughs> on the uh, the episode thread or on Twitter if you if you read that article and then thought that to your life or not. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just like I keep like I like you look back at the arc of your own life and just go listen. Like if I like if I were like working at some other firm or like some other team, like how would my career turned out? How, how like if I mean the other question I love that Simmons always asked like you like you simulate this guy's career like a hundred times. Like how many times does it turn out the way it did? You know what I mean? I love when Simmons flew the question. Like like that Chris Webber question <laughs> yeah. from Book of Basket from Book of Basketball, like Chris Webber should have had a way better career. Like, I mean, like, some other examples, like, do we think of Clay Thompson differently if he hadn't, like, been next to Curry, but Curry just, like, Thompson's game complements Curry so perfectly in so many ways that we, we just thought of, like, Thompson differently? These are questions that I love to think about. Well, and it, like, I think that's why Simmons is so popular. And like, when people listen to this podcast, we definitely rag on Simmons a lot. I'm, I'm not saying we don't, but we celebrate Simmons when the celebration is in order. And he, he did all this stuff. He, the discourse in sports so much derives from him. Like you just said, the replaying your career over and over again. That's a great thing to think about because yeah, if Clay Thompson was on a much different team, you know, it, maybe he's Ben Gordon. Like, I don't know, you know, so that kind of stuff is so interesting. But I, I did want to touch on. So I, I reread the piece, uh, you know, I should I, I complimented Bill so I can be mean to him. Unlike Bill, I did some research for the pod, although although Bill has been doing a little bit more research lately. So I guess I can't hit him too much. But I, I did go back and read that piece. If if you search Bill Simmons, Tracy McGrady, Granlin, it'll come up. It's 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 2013. It's a uh, it's a really good article. So I'm glad you brought it up. And and I read it before, but I want to touch on a couple of things I thought were interesting because, in my opinion, this was post Apex Simmons in terms of being a writer. So what and people that were new to him wouldn't necessarily think that or agree with it. But what I think, and of course, this is just a personal opinion. What I think Simmons' apex as a writer was those mid to late 2000s page two columns where it was looking back at the NBA free agency offseason with uh, 40 anchorman quotes. Or it was rank the top six NFL team, NFL contenders as Jersey Shore characters and, of course, the mailbags. So to me, uh, that was the kind of stuff that I loved. But I, what I think this was, it was apex Simmons writing persuasively. Because I think he had a lot of this in the Grantland era. So a couple things here. Number one, very funny to me. He's using like somewhat advanced stats in this article to make his point, which is so odd when you listen to Simmons in 2023 because he decries all these advanced stats. He goes, I don't, I don't know what any of these things are. I can't keep track of them. Well, he's using PER, he's using wind shares in this 2013 article. So very clearly he was aware of this stuff a while ago. And for whatever reason, has chosen to forego the knowledge of it now and not talk about it in 2023. The second thing, which I thought was hilarious, was he was he was fucking flexing on his connections. So a couple quotes here. Um, After McGrady retired this week, I couldn't resist texting Kobe to ask him, was it true? Was T-Mac really the most talented player Kobe ever played against? His response, no question. So, so he's texting with Kobe. He lets us know. Then he goes, this is another quote from the article. Since Rockets GM Daryl Morey crossed paths with McGrady for three plus years in Houston, I called him to pick his brain. So then he talks about Morey. Then he also discusses the conversations he had for this article 
with Doc Rivers and Jeff Van Gundy, and Jeff Van Gundy coached T Mac in Houston. So this is this this is what this is such an interesting time period in Bill's life, and he was doing Countdown at this time too. It was such an interesting time because he's gone from in 2003. He's totally fan. He got to ESPN hating on any non-Boston teams, hating Roger Clemens, hating Kobe and the Lakers, to now, just a decade later, he's te- he's running a website for ESPN. He's responsible for tens of employees. He's doing NBA Countdown. I mean, like, th- this shit happened really fucking fast for Bill Simmons. And so I think it's it's really interesting to look back on his career that – he, he really went from like 2007 writing from the fans perspective, blending pop culture and sports to by 2013, he's texting Kobe for an article. Like, I think if we look back on the career, we underestimate how quick that happened and how intense of a change that was. So I think I remember, I can't remember when this is, this would have been one of his other podcasts, but he's talked about how, when he did the book of basketball originally, and I, where's, I don't know where Kobe is on that list, but he's talked about how once he was like a bigger sports uh, writer and got access to so many players and coaches, his respect for Kobe just deepened over, over time. He's just like, like players talking like the shit of like Kobe being an insane workaholic, like floods through to the team. Like it, it matters more than you think it does, which I always found to be an interesting sort of, um, commentary on where Simmons was because like he went from this guy to be on the, the outsider not really in the loop it's like to this also like those guys that just get so like they get all this extra information and then just all of a sudden start to really kind of abuse it for better for worse and then to your point on the so this is my own personal view that I've always thought that writing is such a great insight into the way someone thinks and I mean quite frankly he probably was just thinking more and writing more and looking for his support arguments. Uh, I feel like he may not be as comfortable these days because he doesn't have this, the same brain power or brain trust doing NBA stats around him. But like back in the day, like his co-pilot for basketball coverage at Grandland was obviously like Zach. I'm sure Zach was opining and helping out, helping Bill make his arguments. I'm sure in the behind the scenes, some shape or form. So... I'm not surprised that the evolution has changed. I just like that, quite frankly, he doesn't try as hard anymore, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. So hence why he probably doesn't do this type of research anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. I think Zach, and I always thought it was interesting, like right after Simmons left ESPN, and then it was clear that Zach was going to stay there. He's a great writer, and he this podcast is, is, I don't listen to it as much anymore. I used to listen to it more, and what I found was Simmons was basically parroting Zach's takes as his own. So Zach would come on the podcast. This is like 2016, 2017 and have a take or, or Bill would give a take to Zach that Zach himself talked about on his podcast two weeks prior. And that always struck me as, all right, so Simmons, he's doing any given Wednesday. He's only doing, I think it was one podcast a week because he's dedicating more time to the show. He's not following the NBA as closely. Yeah, to your point, he doesn't have Zach in his corner helping him. So that was sort of the beginning of Bill Simmons as much less of an intense NBA guy. And I would also add that he's not writing. So you throw all those things together, and he's getting his takes from a collective 
media that he's listening to Zach, he's listening to NBA insiders. And for all we know, Simmons actually thought it was an original take by him when it actually was a Zach Lowe take from a few weeks back. So I think that's how he developed, uh, you know, after Grantland. And then, yeah, I think now he's he's not writing and he's he, he's kind of past his prime and he doesn't try anymore, which is sad. But, you know, everyone has a prime, so you can't hate everything. It's actually funny because I think I remember the whole there's a Tyler Hero take recently about how the Heat are better because Tyler Hero's injured because that you can't draw like you can't uh, attack him on defense. Is that the I can't remember if that was the correct take, but like Zach Lowe had it first, and like Bill Simmons later that week had the exact same take. Oh, you serious? Just, He's still doing yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> He's still doing it as far as I can. I, he definitely listens to Zach though because I think that take. That take that happened, I think, during the during the Heat playoff run just now. That's great. Um, another thing you touched on this, and, and and I read this when I was reading the T Mac piece. So, he, already by 2013, Bill was referencing his greatest hits because uh, in that piece he he talks about the car wash uh, kind of theory that he likes, where if you oh, I love that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, so love he, that, uh, so I love that he referenced that in the in the column, which was great. And then he also referenced the atrocious GM, general manager summit for NBA GM. So, like, he's even by 2013, Bill Simmons is such a big star that if you're reading a Bill Simmons article in 2013, like, he feels like he doesn't even need to explain some of the world that he's built up in. Which, again, like, if you if you're not if you're new if you're new to Simmons in 2023 people don't realize how fucking big this guy was back in the day. I guess, again, it feels like we're talking about like water's wet or sorry, asking a fish what water's like. And it's, um, yeah, I guess that's funny that we just have like, I don't know, like, like we have all these silly inside jokes now of, of like us, like strange, deranged super fans, like, but first Pearl Jam saddest day in america plus the redraftables well and think how how big think how big the sub lines yeah I, big I mean, is- so, like i was i was on the sub uh in 20 the reason i found the sub in, in 2016 was any given wednesday was on and, and i couldn't believe how bad it was i had i had to reach out and i had to find people who were watching this and be like are, are is am i going crazy and i was working a job at that point that I was working very long hours. So I kind of was going a little crazy if I'm being totally honest um, in 2016. So, so I was using Reddit as a, as an oasis to escape the doldrums of a, a very intense job. And yeah, like I'm on there and, and it was, a, it was a really great community. Even in 2016, a thousand people, you know, I, I post something about any given Wednesday, that would be the one post for the day. People would comment um now we're at the point where yeah it's like forty three thousand people in the sub and you know the twitter account that i've got now for the for the subreddit for the podcast you know people are in on these jokes because simmons just dominates the discourse i would say the only other podcast that really um channel that that really is is similar to that in a way that's if sports part of my take but what it really comes down to i think is if if podcasts are critiquing and discussing media, but podcasts themselves are media now, then people can 
have podcasts or just in general be on a message board talking about podcasts because that's what content is in 2023. A huge percentage of your your life is listening to a guy talk. Why not be able to talk about it with other people, especially if you're not talking about it much with people in your everyday life? So that's why I'm not surprised at all of the huge popularity in our Bill Simmons and other similar forums for people to talk about this stuff because there's so much of their life, of their content consumed, of the voice they're hearing is Bill Simmons. So you, this actually reminds me a lot more of the, uh, the Levitard show, which I listen to sometimes. But like this is insane. Like again, like there's like an R Levitard and friends like subreddit. A ton of inside jokes. They even care less about sports or less about sportsalism than Simmons, which is such a low bar. And like they have like Mike Schur coming on as like this like intermittent guest. They have ins- like running bits, like the shipping container. Jokes about uh, the mothership of ESPN. And yeah, like everything just becomes reflexive and just, you know, just becomes this kind of content machine. Like even, I feel like you asked Levitard now, like I don't think Levitard would even consider himself to be a great sports journalist anymore either. Maybe I'm being critical. That's just my opinion. But that's not his job anymore either. His job is to like run like Metal Arc Media. So tough to blame him. Same, same for Bill Simmons. Like his job is more importantly like running whatever he has at the ringer, slash whatever he has in Spotify. Yeah, which we often disagree on. I, I, I really, I said this in the previous episode, but I really would like to know, like, if somebody works at Spotify, like DM the DM the the Twitter account. Let us know what's going on there. I would love to know if Bill Simmons is actually making significant decisions or not. Uh, it would just be, it would be so great. Um, all right, so another one I wanted to get into because you really, you really sent two amazing articles from from the the Grantland uh, days. Uh, another one was was a Chuck Klosterman Breaking Bad article. So do you do you want to give uh, give the listeners a little bit of why you, you liked that one so much? So full so it was this big Chuck Klosterman kind of this I think and I think I just read it at a time where I still wasn't the most pop culturally aware or wired in and just at that point in my life and it was just this amazingly thoughtful article analyzing why Klosterman loved Breaking Bad versus the kind of the Mount Rushmore of popular TV at the time which is The Sopranos, Mad Men, uh, The Wire and Breaking Bad and I don't know there's I mean, I, I know how you feel. I personally love Klosterman. I love all of Klosterman's pods of Bill. Or I just love Klosterman in general. I've listened to some of like his Tyler Cowan podcast. I've tried to listen to the 90s audiobook and failed. I think that's more because I can't do audio. I've, uh, I've read Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, although I cannot remember the life of me that much about the book anymore. And I've also I kind of weirdly liked them, um, but what if we're wrong? That was a fun little book by Klosterman. But yeah, I'm a huge Chuck fan because of, partly because of that article. I love it. So I wanted to, I wanted to read one thing from it and then discuss it because I, I have a view on this. And yeah, I mean, Klosterman's the best. Uh, I will also say, like, if, if you have listening, this goes for listeners too, but you especially, 
And I said this to Richard too uh, on episode 18, the, the guest that was on there. Um, great, great show, by the way. People love that show. So he, 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 he and you have both not listened to pre-ringer Closerman and Bill Pods. You, you guys have to go to Syl Bimmons, search Closerman and Bill, and just get some goodness. And I can, I can give you links on specific ones. The, the one in particular is you have to listen to the, um, the newspaper union debate. It's so, it's so good. It's so good because Closterman and Bill, because the thing, you know, what's funny is that I think with Closterman, I have, having listened to him and Bill for so long and being, being a fan of both, but obviously more Bill, um, cause he's sports. That's more of my lane. I, I felt like his recent pods with Chuck, Bill was like at least one standard deviation, if not more, lower in the intelligence and critical thinking than Chuck. And it was actually making for a bad podcast because Chuck was running circles around this guy. Did you feel this way or is this maybe only me thinking this? I'm, I mean, with all due respect to Bill, I feel like that's, I, again, I know maybe I don't have the historical context like you do, but I, I would have jokingly always thought that was the case. Interesting. Okay. So then maybe, okay, maybe what you have to do then, listen to some past ones and then see, see if it's me being overly favoring Bill and looking back with nostalgia or if it was always Chuck just dominating Bill. It might, it might be that and it might just be me trying to look at bill in a positive way so we can you have to do that maybe you'll come back on after you let's do a few but what i did want to hit on with with that break about article okay so this is this is interesting to me and i'm very curious i'm very curious your thoughts on this uh the question i'm going to ask so in sure. that article chuck says this is a series in which the main character has actively become evil but we still want him to succeed at this point walter white could do anything and i would continue to support his cause do you agree with that? Did you root for Walter White when you were watching Breaking Bad? Oh, I'm, I'm trying to put myself back into that time period when I was like, like the rest of America, hyper dialed into Breaking Bad. Yeah, I, I mean, it was this weird thing where, okay, so this is, I guess, I've talked a little bit about this, maybe with you, maybe some other people. But I think I have like a little bit of a lack of an internal monologue versus the average person. Um, so I, like, I can really just like, like I've heard of people who like pick up plot holes in movies and shit. That has never been me. Like I'm watching a movie and I'm just like vibing and enjoying it without really thinking about it too much. So like, yeah, during that entire time, maybe like you look back at like, and most like each like, um, like yikes that was like not the thing to be cheering for but yeah in the moment i think every single time i was cheering for uh walter white okay i'm I'm so glad you said that because i totally was too i i watched that show wanting him to succeed 100 i feel i feel like there is now a society-wide revisionist history on people weren't rooting for walter white when they were watching the show i've, I've been seeing this all over the place lately I saw on R. Bill Simmons just recently as well. People are actually people are saying the point of Breaking Bad was not to root for Walter White, and I would I would counter that not even with personal history and not even with this Chuck article. I'd counter it in two ways. Number one, everybody hated Skyler, and why did they hate Skyler the character? Because she was always getting in the way of Walter. 
So that's number one. There wouldn't be a hating Skyler thing if uh, if we weren't rooting for Walter White. So number one. And then number two, everybody loves the ending of Breaking Bad. Right? It's it's one of it's one of the greatest endings of all time. This is universally agreed. Objectively, people say it's one of the best. Why is it so good? Because Walter is a badass in the ending and gets all he wants at the time. I mean, he bas- it's basically the best case scenario for him based on the episodes leading up to that fact. It's the best case scenario for him in that final episode. So I submit those two in the core evidence case for why people were actually rooting for Walter White. No matter what you say a decade later after the show is ending, I, I think you root for him. All right, so, so I remember actually, I remember reading this article once with uh, Vince Gilligan, and he, I think that he had kind of mentioned that that was part of his like, like part of his like initial challenge to do Breaking Bad was he wanted to see if he could drag the audience down with him to continue to cheer for a guy mm-hmm. while continuously ramping up the moral stakes, while you also like realize that he's continuing to like do worse and worse things. Like, have you watched um, Better Call Saul? I I watched the finale. I've not watched the show. It's the same idea where it's just constantly ramping up of, like, moral grayness. How far will someone go? Um, what, it, like, almost, like, what it means to be a good person. Like, morals and ethics. And that's, this is all, again, like, this kind of goes back to my wheelhouse, what I love thinking about. But I don't love, like, thinking about, like, moral philosophy via like actual philosophy textbook I like to see kind of applied or just in modern culture. So I completely agree with you that I it's such a revision of history take if you really do think that people were not cheering for Walter White as they were. I'll, Although I'll I will say you agree with me. <laughs> I will say though there is um like that conspiracy theory online that the second last episode could also be considered breaking bad's ending. And then you could argue that the last episode is a dream. Have you heard that one? I have, yeah. I think Bill Bill definitely brought that up on the podcast. Maybe, probably with Chuck back in the day. Pro- probably. But yeah, that's that would be the one kind of call out saying that you could potentially argue that is what... That is a way that you could argue that he got like the strange just desserts. But the ending was, in my opinion, like perfect because you like, yes, we, he got like his happy ending. He got everything he wanted but also face some sort of more reckoning for those crimes. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you you brought that up, the moral stuff. See, you know what's – for me, and, and maybe it's just the way that I watch content, and I think, you know, in, in my day job where I do look at uh, – I do like to analyze media. I like to analyze the media space. Um, I don't really consume that much content, if I'm being perfectly honest. I don't watch that much TV. Um, and, and when I do watch it, I really don't care about morals at all. I'm just looking for entertainment. So that's why it's when I hear people sort of, you know, critiquing the shows on morality and like getting a message. I, I don't really care about that. I just I just want an entertaining or a funny show. And I want to connect that to your succession take, because I, I think if I have this right, do I have it right that you didn't really enjoy Succession that much, but you were watching it out of an obligation to participate in the discourse? Yes. So for me, Succession, I mean, I felt like Succession, in my humble opinion, was overrated. Like, 
I think a lot of people feel that way. I don't get me wrong. Was it a perfectly good show that was like worth like watching? Yeah, sure. Like, it was fine. But I mean, I, I think I used to tell all my friends like Barry, in my humble opinion, is a way better show. Like it's just more entertaining for me personally. I like the ideas and themes it's exploring. To give you some context, by the way, so I'm like a little bit of a, I guess, media nerd at times, but I don't like 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 TV's up. Like I think I've told, I think I, we, you like we'll talk about this later. Like I don't own a TV. I obviously like have like a projector at home, and like I put up a lot of uh, movies and the like these days. Um, like my favorite piece of content I've consumed in the past year has been Tar, which uh, I'm not sure if you've watched, but uh, I've actually listened. I think two times after like Sean and Amanda talk about it just because I thought that was the best thing that's to, for me to think about it. But I, I feel like I'm always searching for a deeper meaning and sort of having it reflect back into my life. Hence why that's kind of the way that I consume content. So would you, would you say you're seeking out content to give you that meaning and that's what you like the most in content? And that's maybe why you didn't like Succession as much because you didn't felt to have that. I, I mean, uh, I feel, so here's what I'll, I'm going to use kind of Barry as, uh, have, did you watch Barry at all? No, but I know the, I know the concept of it. Yeah. I think Barry is this fascinating question of where your choices bring you in life. How, like what it means to be a good person. Can you really escape your past? How much of it is um, sort of like your own personal genetics or, biases or everything built into you versus your outward influences and meanwhile i feel like i feel like succession was a like just kind of lifestyle porn for a lot of people but just watching these rich people go about their lives um yeah it had some interesting ethical questions at times but it was pretty like down the middle like everyone's just kind of being a terrible person questions of who's going to rise to the top but and again i just not for me but at the same time, like I had to admit that everybody and their mother was watching this show, and it was fun to be part of the discourse. Yeah, it, yeah, it was, I, it was a collective uh, experience for sure. It it was it was the water cooler show. Yeah, and and frankly, we don't have many of those these days. So when when you get one, you do feel an obligation to participate. I I think for sure. Totally. I'm now, just trying to think what else. Yeah, here's something I was I was thinking about when you were talking. So so you were saying you don't you don't have an inner monologue. I don't um if I do, it's really quiet. Interesting. Okay. So you you don't have one and you're deriving or, or I wouldn't say deriving meaning maybe is an aggressive way to put it, but when but when you're watching content, you're thinking about how similar themes might impact your life. See, I, I think I'm the opposite in both ways. I do have an inner monologue, like aggressively to the to the point where when I was back in the office recently, um, after after being out of it for a couple years, I had to catch myself several times talking to myself out loud with people around me because I was just I was doing my work, talking to myself like I normally would at home. And then I had to realize, oh, shit, people are around me. So like I've I'm even doing that when I'm in my normal day to day work. And I, I do that, you know, when I'm in my free time, too talking to myself but i don't watch tv for any of the deriving any meaning from it or thinking about how it impacts my life at all like i just watch it occasionally and then i'm over it and i don't 
I don't I only think about it in terms of if I'm interested in the characters or whatnot. So I don't I don't take that and put it into my life at all, basically. So I feel like there's almost like two types of watching for me. There's the type where I'm like kind of like analyzing it, but it's almost like like for example, so going back to um so for example, I finished the first three episodes of Always Sunny this past weekend. I'm not oh, like really thinking about or the, the the first in the show. Oh, like the first three episodes of the latest season. Oh, perfect, nice. I have two. Good. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not critically thinking about that show in the slightest or thinking about the themes. I'm just like vibing and enjoying. It. Um, but like for example, like something like Tar. Like I finished Tar, and like I remember like walking out with my girlfriend, just being like talking about all the themes that were being explored in that movie, and I really enjoyed that conversation. It made me think a lot about greatness. Made me think a lot about separating art versus artist and these are just questions that kind of fascinate me and always will i'll have time for in my life hmm, that, that's interesting i mean I'm, I'm listening to you now say that maybe maybe i could use maybe the next time i watch some content i'll 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 watch it with that kind of thought in my head to maybe explore some of that stuff maybe it's that maybe it hasn't occurred to me to think about that but i'm um, talking of always sunny uh are you aware that they're doing a podcast the always sunny guys i'm i've listened to some of them yes i'm aware okay. that that podcast exists okay so i i've got a i've got a theory for you which i think is backed up by the the subreddit which i i have not been on that subreddit in years and i was like i gotta check it out because I, I like the new season but um so oh okay briefly before i go into that did you like the new episodes no i thought they were all weak you thought they were weak okay well, then, then that can make this even more fun. I, I thought they were, I thought they were better than previous seasons. I've, I've been, I've been very much, the past. My view of the past few seasons, really since like season ten, but maybe like twelve for sure. I guess I don't totally remember specifically, but my take has been they are not even close to the early seasons, and some of them just aren't even funny at all. Um, so I do think season whatever sixteen we're on now is an improvement. But what was interesting is that – so they're doing this podcast and what they do for the listeners out there that don't know is, is they watch a former episode, an old episode, and they talk about the episode on, on the show. Now, oftentimes, they talk about the episode for like 10 minutes and then talk about other stuff. But the concept is they're, wa- they're re-watching old episodes. And my thing – like so this is how I kind of think strategically about shows is like I thought about Always Sunny. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And I think about it of like, all right, well – some like always sunny works when there's really strong character pairings and they're doing interesting things. So like Dennis and Mac um, together are, are a hilarious pair. Right. And then that's usually paired there. So they're doing their own thing in the show. And then Frank and Charlie are doing their own thing. And then D's kind of off on her own. So the story kind of connects to all of them. But like, if, if I think about my favorite episodes, a lot of them are those two combos. Now, another combo I think is hilarious is the Dennis and D combo as the siblings. And usually it's it's something with Frank and they're trying to convince him to do something. Now, there's some pairings that you don't see that often, but can be hilarious, like the Frank and Mac pairing when the gang goes to the Jersey Shore, which is the classic Rumham episode. So, like, I, I think about the TV strategically like that. And, you know, maybe this happened, maybe not. But what I think happened is when the three writers, the three stars of the show went back and watched the old shows. They kind of rediscovered what was funny about the show in the first place. 
So then when I, I so I think them doing the podcast directly led to those episodes being better than the most recent seasons because there was clear like the first episode was a classic uh dennis and mac episode together that was funny um so i think like that that kind of stuff is is making the show better because they're thinking about it and i think that they, like at least the suburb of people are thinking the same thing um but maybe it's not like you know if you didn't think they were that good then you know that's you know maybe maybe i'm crazy but I guess the the broad subreddit consensus is that these are better than previous seasons. I do think they were better than last seasons, but I feel like it's a little bar. It is, yeah. I don't think the show was funny last season, so no. I'm I completely agree. Um, yeah, I can I can't remember exactly when I felt like they they dropped off. I can't remember what season I would cut it off at, but. No, to your point, I completely agree that I feel like they've dropped off. I, I personally think that it's just that, I don't know, is it harder to make edgy comedy when you're like now as famous as all of them are? Well, that's a part of it, right? I, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily know, though, because like, and I think back of like, what, what are some of my favorite episodes? Like, Matt, I think uh, Max, a serial killer. Well, okay, so that one um, would be tougher to make these days, but um, like, like Mac bangs Dennis's mom is a hilarious one. Where, uh, they yeah, have, do you remember that one? Yeah. Okay, but yeah, so or like the, the broad strokes. Yeah, so like to me, like the the kind of show, the kind of episodes where it's very, like it's interpersonal gang relationships getting getting at another. I think those are really funny. And so I could kind of understand how they've explored a lot of that already in previous seasons. So like those kind of episodes are harder to make. So I do understand that, but yeah, in terms of making stuff edgy, I mean, they're, they're always kind of going up against the line. So I think they're, I think they're okay with that, but yeah, no, I, I was happy that I thought the first few episodes were better. Um, but I guess that's, that's too bad that you don't think they were that great. Um, actually, where so where does Always Sunny rank for you on top comedies of all time? What's your what's your Mount Rushmore of comedies? Ooh, off the top of my head, Thirty Rock, Always Sunny, South Park. Um, other comedies. I'm blanking. Like, let's say, say, let's say the last one. Uh, like, if you like, off the top of my head, just because I was just thinking about, like, you're the worst. Hmm. I that that was very that was a very good one. I I remember being like proud of myself for discovering that. I was like, this is you're, this is like a sleeper hit. Like, not many people are watching this, but this is really good. You're the worst was a total like kind of flies under the radar comedy of like the mid 2010s. Yeah, it was it was like. Again, like that was like a weirdly serious comedy at times, but I really enjoyed that one. So the the Office wasn't doing it for you. I never got. I've never bought into the Office hype like some people. Like never wasn't my thing. Interesting. Did did you watch a lot of it, or like have you? I watched like a few seasons, like probably okay. like so like back like back when I was younger, it's like hang on my cousin on our couch and just like watch like binge watch and office and just like catch up with her and yeah just never never did it for me 
So you're like Bill in that respect. He's never watched it. He doesn't think it, he doesn't like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't wrong. Like I gave it, I gave it a shot, and just never did it for me. Uh, Seinfeld. So this is where we talk about the whole um, the idea that I've watched Seinfeld episodes, and you see the thread line of always Sunny just being like the ruder cousin of yes. Um, and because of that, you don't really appreciate Seinfeld anymore because you have like the, the new version of that. Oh, I just realized what my fourth would be the league. Oh, the, yeah, um, yeah. FX had a, has a lot of great stuff, which is such a fascinating question of like how much taste matters for these things. Yeah, right? well, well, it does go back to like how do you make good TV? Because you know that the, the question now is like there's all this kind of junk TV out there. So why why is there like why isn't there a, a Friends esque show right now right like um you know the top because the, you can look at this stuff like the top TV shows that are watched are the Library of Friends it's The Office it's Seinfeld where where are the classic late two thousands early twenty tens comedies that people are rewatching over and over again and and maybe it's Big Bang Theory which is watched frequently, but I don't think that is like the, the, the top tier of comedies. No one would say that. So like, why didn't we, why hasn't our generation had a comedy that, that, that speaks to us and is rewatched now? I don't know. Well, it has to be like the splintering of the media industry, right? Like there's so many different ways you can go to spend your time. Like I remember being younger and I did not care about the friends finale at all, but, it was just this giant thing because like everybody had like the same 25, 30 channels. It was in a certain amount of like mental market share. And now you can just kind of fall into whatever hole you want in terms of media coverage or sorry, media tastes, I guess. That would be my suspicion. I, I was talking about this on the sub with someone lately. I mean, maybe, maybe it was you because you, you've had multiple accounts, right? I don't even know who, who you are in the sub, but I was talking, I was talking about this and I, I we, were, we were reminiscing about how okay so for context like both of us are around thirty but we were reminiscing about how yeah you have you had your thirty channels your fifty channels whatever and there wasn't even a TV guide so you, like you turn on the TV and there's like your nice run of sports channel so like all right nice like I can go on a four or five channel run I'll see if there's anything good okay no n- nothing good in sports okay let me go through the the movie one so. You go through four or five channels in a row. You're 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 rocking through FX, TNT, TBS. Oh, great! Haven't seen the show in a while. Wanted to catch up on it. So it was it made the experience of watching TV less consistent and more exciting because you could stumble upon something great. And I would say Bill Simmons, to bring it back to him, kind of made a career out of this because the whole concept of rewatchables in the first place is. Him sitting on his couch at 2 p.m. on Saturday, flicking channels, and he catches the first 30 minutes of Shawshank, wants to watch the next scene, and ends up watching the whole movie. I mean, this this is the concept of what he what he does that for, and that was a common thing among people back in the day. Yeah, but now that, that obviously doesn't exist unless because. I don't have cable. I'm not sure if you have cable, but like, I'm never, I'm never going to do that. If I, like, I need to go seek something else out. Like, it's always weird. I go back to my parents' house now and having cable. It's such a weird experience of just, 
sitting down, flipping channels, and then you get bored eventually. Just kind of go on something on the, the streaming platforms. But it's like it's 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 nice going back and visiting my parents and kind of flipping through channels. Yeah, it's a different it's a different way of watching. It does bring me back. Now, so speaking of watching things, th this is something that we've talked about a little bit off air, but I, I want you to get into this. So you have said that you don't really watch sports anymore. Can you expand on that? I just don't have the, I guess, patience slash... Like, I'm, I think I remember a few years back Somebody on Bill's podcast talked about there's a strange new sports fan in basketball where they were on top of all the narratives because of all the like like all this new media coverage, but actually didn't watch the games. And I I, I think I'm one of those guys now where like if it's like so for example I live near near a bar and if it's like a close fourth quarter I'll pop by the bar. I don't own cable and I'm too lazy to figure out. Uh, illegal streaming and I'm not going to pay for NBA TV or something. So yeah, I only really watch sports at bars or when I'm back at my parents' house, but yeah, I don't really watch sports anymore. But I'm weirdly like still like in tune with everything because a fantasy football B like, just like I'm all these like build podcasts and like the narrative what's going on around the league, but that's my exposure to sports these days. I don't actually watch sports anymore. Like I can't remember the last game I watched start to finish. Wow. Okay. That, that is major. That is very, okay. Wow. That is, so you haven't watched like a full, you're not even watching NBA finals games fully. No. Interesting. But like, for example, like I can tell you about how, like, yes, like I can, like I know Jokic won an MVP. I know Murray had an amazing series. I know Aaron Gordon had an amazing series through all this media coverage and kind of interest on my end. But yeah, I did not watch a single game. Or a sing I did not watch a single minute of the finals. I probably watched a few quarters of Heat Celtics just because of the schedules, and then like it was great to kind of slot in and go to the nearby bar and watch like, the last game or the last quarter of a game. But no, I did not watch a single minute of the finals. That is that is fascinating. But yet you and I think I'm quoting you here that you prefer narrative and trends and strategy. So, I mean, for me, it like, for example, this past news, uh, I'm, sure I'm probably going to an example. Team building fascinates me. Narrative of players rising and falling fascinate me. So, like, for example, I am very curious to see what we get from Victor Wembyama. I'm kind of curious to see what the Heat do, just because this whole Heat culture thing has been ridiculous. I love the narrative of Jimmy Butler. I love thinking about how Jimbo will be remembered in history as an NBA player. And yeah, like when I watch a few of those crazy games that he did, I was lucky enough to catch like fourth quarters of some of those. But no, I don't like actively seek out sports anymore, which is except for like, like the end, like the Super Bowl or like an amazing conference finals. Maybe I'll watch like the, like the last half, but no, I'm not watching a single like game start to finish in 12 in ages. Now, do you think this is a NBA-specific issue, or do you think this might be more sports? Like, have you dropped watching all sports, or did you previously really only follow the NBA? Um, so I grew up a hockey fan, and I grew up a hockey and NBA fan. Um, so full disclosure, I'm from Vancouver, and they took away my team. 
So I kind of was like, fuck you to the NBA for a few years there. For like a solid decade, actually, if I'm being honest with you. Like a decade and a half. And actually, Bill Simmons was probably the one that lured me back into following the NBA again. Oh, that's great. Because I was like, oh, like, what's going Like, you know, I started reading his articles, catching up what's going on. And they kind of cut the start of the Warriors dynasty. Um, and what happened next? But yeah, I, I, just, I think I just have, A, I just frankly have less time for it. Um, but at the same time, I still watch football because of, I'm a huge fantasy football fan. Mm. Um, and I think I carve up more time for the NFL just because I think there's just less games. So like, I can like, like, yes, I will gladly go to the bar all afternoon and watch like a NFC wildcard game or an NFC conference championship game. But I'm not going to probably do that for like game one or two of the, of a playoff series. Maybe catches the back half of um of like a game, like five or six or like a like a game clinching series. But yeah, that's the way I consume sports now. Okay, I'm looking for the high. I'm looking for the high leverage games and the high leverage times. So then it might be an NBA specific issue. I mean, I guess you could say the same thing for not NFL because they have so many games. But the reason I bring up the NBA is because. This conversation has been had on our Bill Simmons. This conversation has been had on on the NBA Reddit, I think. And so there's there's sort of this view out there that, and I think it's probably accurate, that the NBA, they might even have more online fans than the NFL, but the product actually isn't being watched that much compared to the online discourse. So if you turn if you turn on ESPN. Even in the off season, you're getting tons of coverage about the NBA. You're you're probably getting. I mean, and Bill Simmons does this. Meaning, he just had on a fake trade segment with Brasillo. But Bill Simmons and I would put ESPN in this too. They're talking about the NBA off season more than they're talking about the MLB season. But if you look at the conference finals and the World Series ratings for each of those two sports, they're pretty similar. So it doesn't really check like the the discourse on TV is much more heavily weighted towards the NBA where maybe it shouldn't be. It's probably on par with NFL coverage. And yet the NFL is, is rated a lot higher, but potentially online, there is significantly more discourse about the NBA. So it, it's interesting trying to figure out like why, why are people so interested in the NBA, but don't watch it as much. Whereas people are very interested in, in the NFL, of course, but they're also watching it much more than they're watching the NBA. Like that's sort of, and I'm sure the the NBA owners, Mark Cuban is probably trying to figure this out. And I'm, I'm curious of the answer to it too. I think a lot of it stems to the games feel more important. So you watch them. And then I, I think it's gotta be, if you're, if you're a fan of the team, you, if you're a fan of a team, it's, it's a much easier commitment to watch 16 games. And of course you're not going to watch all of them. So if you watch 10 games a year, that's 10 three-hour segments a year to watch as opposed to if you're really following the NBA and you want to watch 50 games a year, that's a significant use of your time. And then I'd probably put uh, as well that fantasy football for sure. And then he- here's the big one, I think. And you know maybe the NBA stands will get mad at me for saying this, but and I, and I would say for the, for the MLB too, but like I think the – I think the NFL is an incredible TV product, highly entertaining. It's a much more entertaining TV product now, especially 
but historically too versus the NBA, uh, MLB, and and the NHL. Would you agree, or did you, do you think you just watch NFL for other reasons rather than entertainment being the prime factor? So what I think it is is the watching like watching a basketball game is almost like watching like water go back and forth. You know what I mean? Like the like the flow of the game. But like it's requires a higher amount of tension that maybe I'm just too ADD for now as I get older and I'm too wired into all my like my phone and laptop and all that. But like the NFL is like these punctuated moments, right? Which is like you like watch the NFL for like the 10 seconds, 10, 20 seconds takes to run a play, then like break until the next down, right? So I think there's also just it's a higher I think the NBA is a higher cognitive load sport to watch than the NFL. Does that make sense? That's what I, that's my that's my best guess. Not not only does it make sense, I think you completely nailed it. Yeah. For our for our modern culture, the NFL is much better. Yeah. Because you can check your phone. It's it's a play. You 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 sit down, you check the phone, that and the announcer has a good replay if you want to watch it, and then boom, another moment. And like you said, it's it's not like they're scoring all these points, like your the the great play that happens is only happening occasionally. So yeah, I, I think you're totally right on that. So I remember when I was a kid, the other reason I kind of fell out of basketball was I kind of got like every point is worth two points, you know what I mean? Or like two or three points. So like it's just like I think the joke is about football, sorry, basketball. Like it's a game of runs, right? And it's just you try to like you watch these runs happen and you appreciate it that way. But there's not these like crazy moments that um, that the NFL has, or even like hockey, which I grew up with as well. Like that hockey has. But of course, hockey is close to basketball. That it's just like this, this flow of nothingness almost. At least you have like power plays, so you know there's pay extra attention, or you can just tell when the other team's tired. Like you can like your attention's heightened, but you can you know exactly when to space out for a hockey game. I think it's less obvious when you're supposed to space out for an NBA game. Hmm. I I don't watch enough hockey. I don't really watch any hockey to know that, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> it it's been again similar to similar to what I told you just now. Yeah, it's been ages since I've watched a hockey game properly. All right, then let's um. Uh, this relates to this conversation, so let, let's get into some COVID talk. Um, we're not we're not going to get to um, we're not going to get too negative, but so so COVID. I think a big thing that came out of that, at least in the immediate term, so you had sports that were shut down, and I think some people, at least for the first year or two, learned to not be as infatuated with sports as they used to. Do you think that contributed at all to watching less sports, or was this something that happened way before for you? Oh, that's an interesting question. I definitely watched more sports before COVID and during COVID, obviously. Um, yeah, I think you're not alone. I think that's a common thing, at least for the first couple of years after COVID. Yeah, but COVID I guess March 2020. Yeah. Like I, I still remember watching. I, I remember that. I remember watching so many games of that of those playoffs, given there was really nothing else to do with my life. And same with, uh, and then same with that football season. But yeah, ever since kind of like, kind of uh, 
coming back to what you call reality, I guess. I've just been watching less sports, and I don't know what it is. Is it just because like, maybe my priorities changed or something? That's a fascinating question. I have no great answer there. Well, because of habits. Like, I think a lot of people watched out of habit, and then when that habit was no longer there, they realized, oh, do I really need this? So I think that that could definitely be part of it um, because I, I think at least like I like to follow the ratings like, you know, I, there's the NBA ratings guy and this the, on the Simmons subreddit. It's kind of funny, but um, the, yeah, the ratings weren't that great coming out of COVID. They're better now. So I think maybe people have re they've re gotten into watching sports. They're watching less coming out of it. But I, I do think it was and and, you know, maybe part of it, part of it is this, too, like once. Once the global pandemic hits, um, you know, sports discourse and even the results of sports kind of feels less meaningful when when you think about how how much your life has been upended. Do I really need to be spending this much time thinking about sports and watching sports? Maybe not. So I'm thinking maybe that was part of it. But is that just a function of us getting older or is that and like us getting older? So we care about sports less. So we have trail off. And then I just feel like the younger generation doesn't care about sports as much. Or is that is that just my own biased impression? I don't. Th- I, know, do you think? I think that's totally true. Maybe maybe that's it. I I would jokingly because I, I, I think even Bill Simmons' joke that once he had his first kid, he like cared about sports so much less. Yeah, yeah. He has a scene. Of, he has a scene of. Um, I think it's in his first Red Sox book where he's got a scene of he's he's babysitting. Or I, I think he called it babysitting, which is sort of weird because he was the parent. But he, according to him, he was babysitting Zoe, and he previously he would have gotten a lot madder and a lot angrier at some Red Sox play that didn't go his way when he was watching a game and he when he was babysitting her. And um, the scene, at least how he writes it, is he wasn't as mad now that Zoe was there. So yeah, so him him having kids did that. But let's um so so the COVID the COVID piece the COVID angle here, because we we were kind of DMing before and uh, so a couple things so again we're both around thirty for context for listeners. Now you you would you had said that you know you've actually maybe I'll just let you explain it. So what how do you look back on COVID now that we're in twenty twenty three and you're a few years older? The time period of COVID. So COVID happened during my late twenties. And I maybe, I don't know if it's something about, I haven't talked about this with too many people, but I just feel like I'm still like mental, like I feel like I'm still mentally frozen of being like in my late twenties somehow. Like it seems very surreal to me right now that like I'm at that age where I should theoretically think about settling down and all that. But it's just, it's just I just have this strange feeling right now where I still feel like I'm late twenties and still have the rest of my thirties ahead of me when I I'm really kind of like down a few years. I just, something that I've been, something that came up in our conversation and something that I've been kind of, I guess, feeling. So, so I think it's a great question. And and the question that I have for it is, is this how every 30, 31, 32 year old feels or is it pandemic related that we lost three years from 27 to 30 and so we are essentially 27 still. That is exactly the way that I've been kind of framing it in conversation with friends. And I don't have a great answer. 
but that is exactly the way that I feel like maybe that's just maybe I mentally feel like I've lost out on some years I'm trying to get them back even though that's kind of absurd yeah or is this how every person that has turned 30 and is a year or two removed from that feels because we're not in our 20s anymore and once you're not in your 20s life is sort of oh like this it's starting to get serious here and yeah you you can you can start to see like in less than a decade i'm going to be 40 that's kind of interesting so yeah it, it might be that i don't know but i, I wanted to pose this question to you and ho- I'm hopefully i'm channeling my my inner chuck uh close to when i say this so okay so let, let's say that like at the, the covid years um what is the best relative age and what is the worst relative age and time period in your life to have COVID happen to you? What do you think? Say, say two years were lost. Let's use two years as, as the example. Two years, two years lost. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I kind of want to say like, I'm going to like, okay, there are two, the best two years to have, I guess, gone through COVID in my humble opinion, were either you had just had your kid leave your college or leave whatever home city you're from. So I don't know why it's, it's like 60s or something. Or I would say that you're like a fresh-ish parent maybe. And we're not talking about the whole, like the cognitive like stress of like being worried about your kid getting sick and all that. But I just feel like I've heard about so many cases of like parents saying, this is amazing. I get like this time with this, with my kid that I would have never gotten. So I think this, that would have been like ideal times to have kind of lost out on, um, I guess like been like secluded and working from home and all that. So that would be my first answer. So the best years to have had COVID happen to you. And then the worst years, I mean, gosh. Um, so obviously, like, I feel like college and high school are big. So those are, like, two little pockets. And then I feel like maybe, again, maybe I'm biased, but, like, that kind of mid to late 20s period, just because I feel like at that point you should hopefully be kind of building some momentum with your career. Uh, you have probably, like, a decent nut save so you can kind of enjoy yourself with your money, but all of a sudden you did had nowhere to spend it and you were just stuck at home all the time. And... Yeah, that'd be my that'd be my best uh, that'd be my answer just off the top of my head. Yeah, I like that. So I think the, what what immediately stood out to me for worst is college, and I, I would say specifically junior and senior year. So yes, definitely. Yeah, so like if March twenty twenty is your junior year spring, that's just atrocious because, and yeah, I mean, so you're from Vancouver, I'm I'm United States based, but like I would say that. Your, your junior and senior year of college, like this is the culmination of like a decade long journey and a, a decade from when you're 10 to 20 feels like an eternity. So, you know, you're in, you're in middle school and, you know, it's, it starts to be, oh yeah, like get good grades because you're going to go to college one day and that's how you're going to succeed in life. And then you get to high school and kind of the same thing. And then it's, or what classes am I taking? And am I in the right classes? And so all this stuff. Am I doing well enough in school? You get to sophomore year, maybe junior year, you start visiting colleges. So, and then, and then you have those great moments where you get into a college you wanted to amazing. And then you have those dreadful moments when you get rejected. So like all of this is so important 
to a high school kid's life and then you're hopped up on hormones and going through puberty and all that stuff and you know whatever high school does like everything's so magnified so you have all that and then like i think from my experience and i'm sure a lot of people have this like you get in like you have a really nice group of friends in high school and you're close and you have that final summer together and all that and then you go to college and all of a sudden you got to start over and you know it's not necessarily what uh, all the movies would say and it's not it's not necessarily an immediate party all the time because it's it's uh it's different like you got you have to make yourself there so i feel as though the yeah freshman and sophomore you're you're still finding your footing you're making friends you're you're having to succeed in the classroom in different ways by the time you're a junior you know you're you're really you know, the culmination of your, your time in college, but also high school is really at, at a certain, you know, to that point. And then of course, senior year and you're 21 and all that. So if you, if you lost that, I mean, how, how do you, how do you not go through life? Just so angry at that. Like not, not that everyone's trying to look back and regret stuff, but that would be a situation where like you were completely robbed and and I, I totally get what you're saying and and like I, I was robbed of it too like we were robbed of our late 20s but like what does late 20s actually mean like is there a definition of what you should be doing in your late 20s like there's a soft kind of thought process of yeah like what, what you said to do but there's a clear defined role of what you should be doing and what you're working towards as a college junior and senior so that would be just totally dreadful. And then the other angle too would be potentially if you if you just got a job or if you're trying to go for the job market, then that'll get shut down. So that's pretty brutal. So yeah, I, th- I think that would be the worst. I-, I do like your thought of, yeah, just having kids is interesting. You get to spend a lot of time with them. I like that. I think even Chuck said that on a COVID era pod with Bill. So I like that one. Um, I, I was thinking about like maybe, okay. So if you think about, so young twenties versus late twenties, I, I think we would probably both agree. And I hope it's not, I hope it's not just because we were in our late twenties when he had a COVID, but probably late twenties is, is worse to lose than early because like, say, you know, like say you're like 24, you worked for a year or two and, and you had a COVID then it's like all of a sudden, like, yeah, you're not going out and you can't kind of live that life. But for, for work purposes, if you want to, you could really put your head down, nose to the grindstone, work pretty aggressively. You're working from home now. You could you could make some progress there, I think, in your young 20s. So I think that's a little bit different than the older 20s. That's exactly how I remember in my head, where it's just like in your early 20s, whatever, like you're just kind of grinding away at work anyways or at least I did and then it's like well but like when you get to your late 20s like you have a little more free time a little more money to spend because also like in your early 20s like you're broke as a joke it's tough to go out and like in some cities and yeah it's just uh that's why I thought the late 20s was actually kind of more of a kick in the pants because you finally like have like some time and money to kind of explore what you really want to explore also, that kind of gets taken away from you, which I think really sucks. Of course, I could just be biased here. That's the way I framed it in my head. No, I, th- I think it's a really good question. And we'll, I mean, look, like, we'll, we'll be looking back at this in several years, like we as a society, and it'll be interesting to see what, um, what people think about it. But 
speaking of the pandemic, because we, we have to get to this and this is going to be fun. So, so we're, so we're talking right now. Um, we have talked a lot in the past on Twitter now on, on accounts that people are not aware of. Um, so me and me and you, I, I think we, what did, what term did we say that? So we're finance professionals, the two of us. Yes. So we, we have a common interest in finance and we can be broad and leave it at that. So we have communicated outside of Reddit Bill Simmons um, and had and, and messaged each other and, and whatnot. So we have communicated in that sphere. And we also <laughs> later found out that we had communicated in our Bill Simmons without even knowing. So yeah, why don't why don't you get into that and and lead us down this path of how me and you ended up talking to each other when we didn't even know it was us? So back in March of 2020, the world had just started to get the inkling of COVID was happening. And Tilmer Fertitta, the is he currently currently the Houston Rockets owner still? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he never sold it. Yeah, so he had just taken out a massive onerous loan from the markets, like 15% interest. And I just thought it was funny at the time because he wrote this book, Shut Up and Listen. And I made some offhand comments in the Ardell Simmons saying, it's hilarious that this guy says shut up and listen and he's like close to bankruptcy. And you respond, and you responded at the time. I didn't know it was <laughs> who you were really. And then we just, you were like, "Well, it's tough." Like, I can't remember the exact comment you made, but it's like you said, "Well, like it's tough to say he's exactly like bankrupt. Like it's like you have to figure out what like the terms of this loan were." And in my head, I'm like, "Shit!" Like I did not expect to have to get into the details <laughs> of the high yield bond market on the fucking R. Bill Simmons. Yeah, that, that was amazing. So now, were you the author of the post or did you just comment in the post? I was the author of the post. Okay, nice. Yeah, so basically, like, yeah, you were saying, you, like, he took out a very intense loan. And, and so I think the reason that I was fired up about that is that it, that was happening in the movie theater industry where uh, I was looking at those companies because I, I look at media companies. And so, like, movie theaters went from, you know, it they were making great uh, revenue to, almost, you know, nothing. So, for my job, I am in the weeds on that going, hmm, like, what costs can they actually cut? What's their, what's their burn rate for how many months they could go during the pandemic before their debts due and all that stuff? And so, with Tillman Furtado, whatever, uh, the rest, he, he had the restaurant business which was very similar to movie theaters, which, and, and I don't look at, I don't look at the restaurants, but that struck me as being very similar because it was completely shut down. But if the world reopened, they'd probably be doing okay. So he had this onerous loan, um, which again, the movie theaters had to do too, but in a, in a best case scenario, if the world rebounded, you were paying, I don't know, 15% on 200 million so you had to pay that for a couple years. It was essentially insurance against the world not returning to normal in a couple years. So when I saw that post, not only was like, oh, like I can, oh, I'm like I can respond to this. I also then looked into the, uh, you know, the financial applications that we work with and looked into 
Delone looked into his restaurant and it was it was so great that um I was able to have that discussion in, in the subreddit. That was glorious. And then I, I still remember I still remember saying, I can't believe I'm having this conversation about um about the about this uh about this entire situation on like the fucking R. Bill Simmons. Like this is ridiculous. I did not expect that to happen. And that's where I messaged you and said that was me. <laughs> so, so, the, so this comes back to what later happened next, is that I made some sort of offhand comment on the other community that we're on. And I just said, I can't believe a year ago, <laughs> I was like on our Bill Simmons, just because I had so many thoughts and feelings about the markets that had to let out that I was talking about finance under our Bill Simmons. And then you messaged me saying, oh my God, like... Was that you? And then that's how we really kind of bonded even further, which is hilarious. Because we had been already, we had already been talking at the time about a bunch of different things. Yes, yes. We had definitely already been chatting. Which actually, do you remember how we first got chatting? I, I don't actually. Uh, I, I can't even remember anymore, to be honest with you. We just started chatting. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember either. Um, yeah, the, the conversation. So basically, if, you know, look, looking back on this, because I, I am looking at it right now, but essentially, we, you know, we're having like legitimate, disc, uh, like financial analyst discussions on the subreddit. Um, and, and I will say too, the other day, I posted a, a screenshot of an article um, that I screenshotted from Bloomberg. So somebody messaged me, uh, or somebody wrote in there, he's like, oh, the the craziest thing to, or like the the most interesting thing to come out of this post is that Tribe has access to a Bloomberg terminal. So I then messaged that guy and I was like, "Hey, like, do you as well? Like, let's let's converse." So I I would have this message to anyone out there listening, like, if you're in the field and you're interested in this kind of stuff, like, let's um let's have a discussion because we're always uh I'm always interested in um you know having some back and forth here. And this this is. Great one too. So I, as so I'm looking at this now, so I have I'm responding to it, and then this is great. So your comment back when I when I like went through the points, you're like, one, I was dumbing it down a bit. It is our Bill Simmons and not our Wall Street bets after all. <laughs> That's so great. That is the exact amount of sarcasm I'd throw into a not even sarcasm. This is like I was being earnest. I was like I I I dumbed it down. I did not. I honestly did not expect to have an intelligent conversation on Marvel Simmons. Yes, yeah, so about the finer points of uh, finer points of distress levels. So I'm referencing. So his his bond was Nugget, which is hilarious. So his bond price was at was sixty six, and yeah. So I'm like, this crisis is exposing some overlevered cap structures. That's for sure. I'm now and then I'm like I'm curious to see how much leverage the biz actually has. So so that was piquing my interest because I was curious of if this was actually like a really bad business because if so it does reflect poorly on this guy or if it was just uh you know impact from the pandemic. And and I think basically what happened was he he levered up his restaurant business to buy the rockets which Really, like that's that's a great trade, I think, because you're using you're using the strength of one business to diversify 
you're, I think he was getting pretty low interest, I guess low, but like, I think he was taking out debt for 6% and he was putting it into an NBA team, which we all just saw Michael Jordan. He bought the Hornets or Bobcats for like 275 million in the early 2000s and sold it for 3 billion. So investing in an NBA team, like I bet Tillman Fertitta, he's probably already made double on buying the Rockets. So in like that in isolation was a great purchase, but the problem was that he basically overlevered himself at the exact wrong time because it was just before COVID. So I think that's kind of where our discussion was where it was like, all right, is that it, is he actually a bad business guy because he might be going bankrupt soon? Or is it a little bit of a timing issue because he did get kind of aggressive with leverage, but it was unlucky that it happened right before a global pandemic that nobody could actually predict? I think I was definitely being tongue in cheek, and I, I'm I'm very sympathetic to a lot of business people who were like, like COVID was like the one in a hundred year like insane pandemic. Like who would who could have seen that coming? So I mean, I was being tongue in cheek, and I I feel. For the guy, I'm not even sure how that debt has settled itself out, but um, I, I was just being tongue in cheek because I think I still remember reading that his like his book title was "Shut Up and Listen." I was like, that is an aggressive title. That is so. That is the first time I know I understand the title of that post. I didn't know he wrote a book like that. Yeah, he he wrote his book "Shut Up and Listen," and I think one of the top comments was like, I thought that was like. Oh, like you're supposed to listen to people. It's like, no, like the book means like you should shut up and listen to Tom Fertitta. That's amazing. And and then the so it's the era. So this this is great to look back on because as as we're chatting um in in this conversation years ago. So so you have a comment that basically is like so we're talking we're kind of talking back and forth about how interesting this loan looks for the buyers alone. Like, oh yeah, they're it's a very high interest rate. And then um a couple days later after this, the Federal Reserve, which, yeah, I don't know how much people listening will totally get this, but the Fed, you know, has a lot of say in the economy. And they announced that they were in the markets uh, for corporate bonds. And so the high yield bond market rallied considerably. And so Tillman actually had bad timing because if he had waited like a week to do this, he would have had to pay a lot less and, and – uh, and actually save himself millions. So that was so unlike Bill, that was bad timing on that on that loan deal. And I still remember before we, we got on the pod, we talked a little bit about that that Reddit post. It was just so funny looking back. It's such a weird time capsule of like the thoughts and feelings of what we were seeing in the market at that time. Yeah, that's good. I'd like to like that would be an interesting. Um, I don't know if I, I would do it, but like in a general sense of like look at like. You know, he, here's like if I was posting this in, in the other community we're part of, like this is what was happening. Um, this was the thought process in 2020. And you could see kind of the emotion because, you know, frankly, you know, investing in finance, there is so much emotion attached to it. Like I, I always like say, talking this to people, you know, like it's, you know, obviously buy low, sell high. Right. That is the mantra. But it seems so easy. But yet almost nobody can do it. And it's so important to do it. Why can almost no one do it? Cause there's the human emotions at play. If something's falling in price, you're worried, you're scared, you're nervous. Uh, when in reality, it just means that there's less downside. And when something's rising in price, everybody wants to get in. It's euphoria. It's, it's crazy. It's so much fun to, to be gaining all the time. 
And that's when you have the most risk because it could fall more. So the human emotion element is so strong that even when you put it into everybody's heads, buy low, sell high, buy low, sell high, you still can't do it. And the, the people that can do it, the very few are the ones that are successful in the business. Yeah, that's it's the deepest irony of our line of work. That how hard it is to figure that one out. And that and this is just such a great, great shot of like what. So what are the emotions here where, you know, it's a month into the pandemic and we're talking about this and then, you know, fast forward a few years later and uh, it's so different. But but yeah, man, now I'm so happy that uh, you tweeted that, uh, you know, whenever you did, maybe 21 or 22. And, and I was like, I'm going to let him know that that was me. <laughs> That must have been such a weird sort of realization for you. Can you do you do you remember what you were thinking? You're just like, oh my god. No, I was I was pumped because I because I was fought, like I I knew who you were and we had talked before, so I was like, I'm definitely saying something because this is great. Hilarious. Oh no! Oh no! <sighs> I'm gonna ask you a couple questions here because, all right. So what? So what's your, what is your Reddit and Twitter uh, kind of like? Po like personal policy because like you're running around with some burners on reddit i think and then you're, you're tweeting you're kind of like deleting some tweets because like we talked like i wanted to reference the exact tweet you have but you said you deleted it so like give me some like as much as you want to get into what is the thought process there oh i mean i'm i'm barely on reddit and um so i actually started a new job kind of recently and i've just been uh you know, just uh, not using Twitter as much. I use Twitter sparingly. But you delete old tweets. That too. For precaution? For Yeah, just precaution. Okay, okay, that's fair. Now, do, do you use like a software for that or do you just do it yourself? Uh, I use a software actually. Interesting. Yeah, we can talk about it offline. Yeah, no, I no, I, it's interesting because, like, I guess for like for mine, I, <laughs> I mean, I just I just like referencing my old tweets a lot. <laughs> oh, I, I wish I could do that. I really like whenever they figure out archiving archiving tweets, I would love to see that. Yeah, so you, now, but but it's also interesting, and, and it's it's I say interesting in a good way. Like I, I would say your, and, and I don't think I'm giving anything away because like no one knows the account that I'm referencing and no one knows my account, but, or ho I hope not. Um, you, ha you, you definitely tweet some like very esoteric stuff. I feel like. Do I now? I, th I think so. Yeah. Would, would you say you don't? I mean, you're it, again in, in the community that we're tweeting in, like, I, I think you do kind of stand out a little bit for your tweeting style. I, I had no idea I did that. Oh, I, I, I mean, per personally, you do for me. So maybe, I mean, maybe it's just me only thinking that. I mean, you're, um, you're, you're tweeting deep thoughts, which I don't think a lot of people are tweeting. I, I mean, I, I feel like you. I feel like um, for listeners, if they, um, if they've held on for this long, I feel like I'm just a naturally pretty deep thinker, and I, I'm just like constantly thinking about things. And I'm just like I'm using Twitter to like kind of like articulate, put a pen or articulate my thoughts better. But yet you don't want to see. But see that so that's where I'm lost is that you don't want to keep them because then if I were, wouldn't you want to look back on those? Like what was I thinking in 2021? 
for 2019. You're bringing up exact. Believe me, I I wish I I wish I could. I just was being I'm just being cautious. I don't like you know me like I don't want to I don't want to ever be taken out of context or something or something along those lines. True. Yeah, and we don't want to lose our jobs either. I mean, exactly. Be- exactly. Yeah. Well, like I I I I actually do think I think people at my I think people I think a couple of people at my work know who I am. But but they've never said anything. I never said anything to them. But but it's because like some some things I'm chatting with them, I'm referencing some of the stuff I'm tweeting, and that they might like referencing reference it back. Like these are people that I'm close with, so it's almost like maybe there's like a nod and a wink that like yeah I'm I'm aware of who you are, um, and so you could you know not that I would say it if I wasn't. Um, yeah, to the outside observer, this probably sounds bizarre, but you, but you know what I mean though. Like I I feel like I feel like some people might be aware of it, which I don't know if I ch- I don't change that much because I know I'm still anonymous. But at the same time, I do think of that a little bit, I guess. Yeah, I I guess I'm I don't I'm not, I don't even know if my friend knows or not. Um, I'm just being cautious. And again, I don't I don't feel I feel like I behave myself online. I don't say anything about anything we're really doing. I'm just tweeting out stuff that I'm thinking about or making silly jokes. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a good way to use it. But yeah, no, I I think you're, you know, you don't use it that much, and you probably don't tweet that much. But I, I you've been successful at getting followers because I I think you do tweet like interesting stuff, so people want that content. I definitely I'm, I'm definitely in my post prime era, but. I think that's very kind of you to say. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Okay. So let, let this is so this is one that I wanna I wanna touch on. Um, so so would you say that you're a, a Chris Ryan CR fan? There is something I like about Chris Ryan. I just think that he has like a great energy. I listen to the watch decent amount. Um. Yeah, I just so I think I I think we talked about this before before we started talking, but I just love the vibes of two people just like hanging out and talking about stuff or talking about topics, and I feel like Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald have really nailed that. Like they have a great chemistry. I like listen. I like I like listening to them talk. Um, and yeah, that's I I enjoy Chris Ryan. I also think he's funny as hell. All right, so I, I feel that. So you like the chemistry. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. I would say the same thing for when Bill has on Jacoby or Wilds. The content isn't necessarily the, you know, obviously it has to be okay, but it's really fun how Bill interacts with those two guys as opposed to some of the other guests he has. So I totally feel that. I guess we're, but my, my thing that I'm not totally getting is People are like obsessed with this guy, like CR. Like I, I get the Bill Simmons obsession. Like I'm running, I, I'm on a Bill Simmons podcast right now, discussing the Bill Simmons podcast. Like so, this, like I'm, I'm not in any, I'm self aware enough to know this is like a, an obsession with Bill Simmons. But Bill Simmons is a legendary sports writer and podcaster. Chris Ryan is a pop culture guy. But there's a Reddit CR heads and there's a CR head community. Where people are obsessed with this guy. So, like, do you understand how there could be that next level of fanhood where people are as enamored or more enamored with CR than they are with Simmons? Like, that's what I'm not getting. 
I just think he's, first off, I don't know, like, what do they discuss on CRS? They just, like, recap the watch? And, like, maybe the audio. was really mad at me one time because I called out CR and they, like, freaked on me. Because I said he was, I said he was mediocre. There, there's that tweet quote or the quote tweet that you could say, "What do you think? Pe- what are people pretend? What do you think people are pretending to enjoy?" And I had a picture of CR on that, and then I, I posted, or no, I didn't even post that. Somebody, somebody else saw that tweet on Twitter and posted it in our CR heads, and people like lost it on me and like were legitimately like thinking that they should try to ban me from the subreddit because they don't want that kind of stuff here so i mean listen, listen chris seems like a lovely guy i like i was listening to the watch this afternoon but i to have a how many how big is the subreddit there it's not that i think it's like five thousand people it's not that big that's a pretty decent size i'm, I'm shocked um Listen, I just think he's like a chill hang. I think I always really enjoy. I'm. I actually really enjoy some of the rewatchables. I just think that he brings. He kind of tames some of Bill's worst impulses while also kind of like getting the conversation moving. Like I've liked quite a few of the Bill Chris rewatchables. Yeah, I just. I think he just seems like a chill hang. I kind of get why people like him. I'm a little bit shocked that he has 5,000 CR heads, but <laughs> yeah, scope that. a lot of things surprise you. After we're done chatting, scope that, because it is, it, it's kind of odd. So you brought up something that I find interesting, is that like there's a lot of people that only know Bill Simmons from the rewatchables. So Really? Yeah, that, that's, that's, I think that might be... That and NBA are the two biggest avenues for new fans, but the rewatchables honestly might even be bigger than the NBA. There's a lot of people that come into the Bill Simmons subreddit that only know this guy from rewatchables. That is absurd to me. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's insane. So they so so like what do they know him? What how does he act in rewatchables? He's like this wonky guy who, I mean, the dude doesn't understand most of the movies he's talking about, right? He misses key plot points. So one of the dumbest things I've ever heard Chris and Bill say, which kind of informed me that I knew I wasn't playing with the, I wasn't a fan of the smartest guys in the room, so to speak, is on the Purge rewatchables. They couldn't figure out how the Purge was helping unemployment. Because people weren't dying? Because people were dying? Exactly. I was like, how are you guys not getting this? Anyways, that's that's part of the podcast. There's like a 30 seconds where they're trying to figure out, I don't get how the purge is helping like drive unemployment lower. Interesting. And I'm like, oh my God, how are you guys not getting that? Well, there's the famous one where Bill didn't understand. Bill thought he was uncovering something new when Ben Affleck or whenever the, the covering of the tattoo Bill didn't get that at first. So what movie is that? For the movie. For which movie, sorry? The Town. So that's, I've never watched The Town. Oh, well, maybe I just, well, spoiler alert, I guess, for you. We'll forget what I said then, but. Got it. Well, well, The Town is like the rewatchables. That and Heat probably are the two that people always, always cite. 
but yeah, no, like I, I guess for, for me and, and it would be different if I was a CR fan, I'll admit, but I've, there's something, there's something different to me of reading a Bill Simmons column using anchorman quotes for the NBA free agency versus Bill actually breaking down a movie with rewatchables where, I mean, I don't know if you're in these threads, but I, I mean, these are hilarious. Whenever a new rewatchables is posted, uh, people are hate. I think people hate listen to those more sometimes than the BS pod, and they're basically like, "Oh, Simmons, you know, Simmons said Sidney Sweeney should be re- recast again. Simmons said Matt Damon would be a better char- would be a better actor, lead actor in this. Like, apparently, he hits all the same notes in every rewatchables. He never gets the main point of the movie. He doesn't get the endings. So." I don't really know. I mean, so are you listening to – are you actually listening? Like, so if you're listening to Rewatchables, you're probably listening more for CR. Is that fair? Oh, no. I'm listening for whatever movie that I mostly remember and I'll listen to, regardless right. of who's on it. Interesting. Um, give or take. And so what I would say that and watch the movie again. Yeah, I'm, I just like for me, it's just like having something on to listen to on the commute or just while I'm working out. Um, but what I find that I like about so I listen to a few film podcasts here and there, and there's just like what you'll say what you will about Bill Simmons, there's always going to be a lack of pretension with them, which I really enjoy. Like sometimes you listen to like uh, Sean Fantasy talk about like movies, and you're like, you're so full of yourself, dude. And like at least Bill Simmons is like vaguely fun to listen to, even if he may not be the smartest take in the room on a movie. And like for example, like Bill Simmons is a great podcaster for stuff like um, like I, I don't even remember the, the details, but like um, The Hangover, uh, Rewatchables, great use of Bill Simmons for just to kind of provide a few laughs, talk about Vegas, like beautiful use of Bill Simmons in a Rewatchables, like that makes a lot of sense. Having Sean talk about rewatching, like talk about the hangover would have been the draft experience of my life, probably. Yeah, that people don't like fantasy sometimes in the sub. One one of his takes, I think, is that Inception in in general, uh, Nolan is overrated, which I was not aware of was a thing, but but apparently the the cool film snob, the the cool online film snob uh, talking point. Is that Nolan's not a good director? Um, because apparently they in, apparently they did a rewatchables on Inception and they all hated it. I how do I put this? I so first off, I am not going to be a film scholar at all, but I feel like I don't think I've ever really loved it. I I like all of Nolan's movies and I've watched them. I don't think I've loved them, if that makes sense at all. Well, that's still a good, yeah, it does. That, that's still a good track record, I would say. Liking all of his movies, right? Like that's-, that's Yeah, t- I, t- I totally agree. And I think more importantly, he's bankable, which is huge in this day and age of where we are in the movie industry and thinking about which directors can actually get things done that aren't like staples of sort of franchise IP. Like that sets Nolan apart. So let's just put that there. Um, yeah, I mean, 
that is, I, I've totally heard that same exact same criticism of Nolan being an overrated director. I don't know if I'd go that far because I do love quite a few of his, I do like, you know, I like quite a few of his movies. But um, yeah, just I totally get that kind of, um, that is a very, Sean hating Nolan is a very common film snob take. Well, I, I, was, I was actually surprised that people didn't like Inception. How do you how do you not like Inception? It's a great movie. Um, have you ever watched uh, Have you ever watched the movie? It's this Japanese anime called um, Paprika. I've not. There are a lot. Like I watched Paprika for the first time, like in this past year, and I thought to myself, um, Nolan says he didn't crib from Paprika. But there are so many movie scenes from that movie where I'm like, and it's very similar thing. It's like it's um, it's like trying to catch criminals in a dreamscape scenario, mm. and there are a lot of shots that remind. I, I just looks like Inception copied it. That's that's an example of something where I'm like, interesting. To be clear, I actually think Inception is better than Paprika, but I think it's a bit much to give Nolan being this amazing auteur, incredibly creative director. Yeah. It's, Although it's, he is, go ahead. But, but no, but I think that could be the heart of it, that people don't, that people are, he, he's one of those, he was underrated for too, too long, now he's overrated. Or, or he, yeah. That, or that, that, that's actually a really good take. I, I think that he sits in that kind of, he was underrated for a bit, now he's a little bit overrated or maybe a little bit overrated, but now the pushback is so far that he's underrated again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is exactly how Simmons would talk about it, but no, no, I think that's a hundred percent because, um, and it's when he is overrated, it is popular to kind of join in on the chorus of, yeah, he's over. Like it's, it's a take to have that he's overrated, right? Like if you're a film critic and you want to take, you can have that take. I also think that he makes visual marvels, but sometimes like you may not like love the plot. Like I don't know, I, I did I didn't love Dunkirk, um, but I loved I love I, I still love Memento. Memento is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, people I don't I liked Dunkirk, but I I wouldn't put it among his top. But some people really are saying, yeah, that is one of his top, if not the top movie. I mean, some people say that that was the top. Yeah, Inter Interstellar, that was that was a big letdown for me because I really, I really thought that was going to be a masterpiece, and I it just didn't. It, I still enjoyed it, but it, you know, my I, I was hoping for a ten out of ten, and I probably got like a seven out of ten, and that three point gap was a uh, was tough. Now maybe that was partly me going in expecting a perfect movie, but. Uh, Chris Nolan doing a, a, a space movie, I thought was uh, was going to be amazing. So my so my experience, I think my best Nolan experience ever was my buddy and I were trying to watch a different movie. I don't even remember what it was, but the tickets were sold out. So then we just were like, we have three like ooh like Inception's coming out like this new like it was the like the night of the release. So we're like we'll just like stick around later than we thought we would and just watch an opening night. An opening night succession, watching it like in the middle of like at midnight, 
was such a great experience. I had no expectations going in. And I was just like blown away by the end of it. Oh, wow. Definitely. That was like, that. that is the way to enjoy Nolan. It's just like, <laughs> watch it, have that ending sit with you as you're walking out of the movie theater at like 2.30 in the morning. Be like, whoa. That is the way to watch Nolan. I, my best experience was watching Dark Knight. And I mean, I, I, I thought that was the best superhero movie of all time when I, I when I watched that. I mean, that was just incredible because Batman, be. Batman Begins was was a nice. And this is this is so before Marvel and all this stuff but like Bat Batman Begins was so fresh of an origin superhero movie. And then he just knocked it out of the park with the Dark Knight to where. I do think that the, the Dark Knight Rises not being as good, um, I think I think that throws off uh, what could have been an epic trilogy. And maybe people still consider it as an epic trilogy, but I, t- to me, he didn't land the plane with, with the Dark Knight Rises. What is the criticism of the Dark Knight Rises? I, like, I, I thought it was perfectly fine. It didn't blow me away, but it was like, this is fine. Um, well, then that might be the criticism right there that it was just fine. <laughs> it's, instead of being the epic conclusion like uh, like Return of the King was. Um, no, um, I, I, I remember and I haven't seen it in a while. So, you know, m- maybe maybe I have been wrong. Maybe I need to rewatch it. But I, I remember it not making that much logistical sense of like I didn't. It was kind of all over the place of how he was locking down the city and. And like, I don't know that it just, it seemed, I'm not putting great, I'm not uh, explaining it well, but it, it seemed more all over the place and more uneven than uh, the dark Knight. Totally agree. That's a little, a little more all over the place. I guess I found like I could follow the plot fine enough. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, that I think that because of my lack of an internal monologue, I don't think I actually get. Like, I don't get bogged down by plot points too badly. I just kind of, like, I can follow along pretty easily in this vibe. Like, I'm very rarely confused by movies. Interesting. Yeah, I think I might have been confused on, like, like what the timing was between him take... Like, I, I just remember a scene with them in tanks, and I'm like, like, why are they randomly in tanks and stuff? But I don't know. I'm probably botching it. I probably have to watch it again. There, there is a terrible big picture podcast where Chris, Sean, and Amanda are rewatching it. It's, it's, a, it's a live rewatch. Terrible. Interesting. Yeah, if you had to, because I've talked to a, a few CR fans from from the Arville Simmons Pod Twitter. If you had to recommend your favorite Chris Ryan content to me to sell me on Chris Ryan, what would you recommend? Oh gosh. Um I off the top of my head it would be a rewatchables. I really enjoyed his I really enjoyed his for some reason I remember really liking his seven podcast with Simmons. Okay. Um that's just the that's my answer off the top of my head. And then I mean I'm I'm jokingly a huge I was jokingly a huge fan of Take Hunter. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah. All right, no, that's good. I like that. Maybe maybe I'll give that a shot because I'm look, I'm I'm open minded in this podcast. If people come and present me with information to change my opinion, I'm open to changing it. So if 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 some people come to me with good CR content, 
I'll I'll consider I'll consider it. But what what I listened to you, so there was a really interesting story on Amazon Prime Video in the Hollywood Reporter maybe like two months ago. It was talk it was talking about the variety of like challenges and the variety of issues. They they were mentioning how uh, you know, like, did you watch Westworld? Yes. Okay, so Westworld, like, you know, had a terrible, like, had a great first season, maybe okay second season. By the third, it's terrible, and then I think it had four total, and, like, not many people watched it. Whatever. The point yeah. is, it was canceled, and the creators went over to Amazon, and they did another sort of mind-altering show. Um, I'm forgetting exactly what the show is, but... Basically, they did like eight episodes of this mind-altering show. Critics thought it was okay, but didn't really. Oh, the periphery, peripheral. So critics like thought it was okay, didn't get much uptick. And so in this article, they said like that show cost something like two hundred million, and I, I don't think the show was covered on the Prestige TV or the Watch or whatever. And then they said they greenlit a second season, but I think it was either four to six episodes for a second season. And it was still that expensive. And then the article basically made it seem like the only reason for Amazon to do that was a face-saving maneuver that they had done this huge deal. Um, and and to actually get any content at all from these creators because they need to drastically overpay for anybody, anybody to make content for them. A similar uh, discussion was had with the Russo brothers making this Citadel show that cost $300 million plus, not that good of a show – um, at the time, it wasn't released yet, but they were already talking in that article about how it was spawning several expensive spinoffs and the show was way over budget. So the point of discussing that was to say that there was a lot of like juice in this article and there was anonymous quotes talking about how, you know, look, like if Amazon wants to work with great talent, they're going to have to pay double to get the talent and look at all these talent deals that didn't work out for them, like all this good stuff. So really interesting, like in the media world, everybody's talking about it. So me being – this is even before I, I, I was probably even doing this podcast that much. Like I, I didn't really care about creating content for the podcast. I just I, – I wanted more on the Amazon article. It was, it was that interesting. So I sought out podcasts I don't usually listen to that were talking about this article because I wanted more information. So I saw that The Watch was talking about this article one day. I was like, great. I'll – I want to listen to some CR, get get a taste for them, and I want to listen to this, listen to this Amazon article. Want more info? And I, I listened to the show, and it was just so like they didn't say anything interesting about it. Like ultimately, CR's main point was, you know, some streamers are on a you know a good streak, on a bad streak. Some streamers make good content, some bad content. The article was only. The article was looking at some of the bad content they make, but all streamers make bad content. And I was sitting there going, like, there there was a lot more to take away from that article than the 15 minutes that CR and Andy spent on it. So so for everyone out there listening and, and for you, like that that is my experience with CR, which has uh disillusioned me to liking him. So maybe I just listened to him on a bad day, maybe I listened to bad content, but that's kind of where my head's at of not really being a big CR guy. In fairness, don't forget that he is a media critic, not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed for business analysis. That's what I would say and defend him there. But believe me, if, if I, I don't know what the article you're talking about is, but my general impression is whenever I hear, um, 
I think now that they get like Netflix like commentators on like like sell side analysts or just like business people onto the watch. And yeah, you can tell that these guys aren't exactly the most business minded guys. Which makes sense given it's like it's Andy and Chris. Oh shit. They they have Netflix analysts on their on their pod? They had like some like journalist on the pod and Maybe I'm mixing up with the town, but I swear that Rich Green something or other Rich was Green on the pod. Food. Yeah, Rich Light Chef. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I feel yeah, like he was yeah. he was either on the town or maybe even on the watch once. Or some journalist was on the watch once. Oh, that's talking about Netflix. Okay. But like, like but like they were not like with all due respect to Christianity, we're not asking like the greatest questions, but you know, like a you know, a brief overview of like what was going on just for fans of the pod. Oh, that is great! I'm definitely gonna try that out. I, I I've heard him on the town, which which is good. I like that because there's a, I I I like the town. Do you listen to that? I think I think Matt does a pretty good job pushing back with guests that he doesn't. He he makes for a good conversation. I feel like. I feel like I should listen to the town more. It's just not on my um, podcast rotation, but I feel like I would enjoy it. It's good. Yeah, th- there's some debate in the sub. Like there's one poster, who like always posts the episodes and. He's like, yeah, like B- Baloney's just like a Disney shill. I'm like, uh, you know, I th- he's critical when he needs to be. Like, I don't, I don't think he's a shill of anybody. And if anything, like with Puck doing, um, doing what he's doing with Puck, like he doesn't, he's not wed to anything. Um, he, yeah, there's advertisements in Puck and on the podcast, but he, I don't think he pulls any punches. So that was, that's surprising to me. I, I think that user is just like very aggressively anti Disney himself. I mean, every time I've heard Bellamy come on the uh, come on the Bill Simmons pod, he's always come off as pretty reasonable, I would say. But I, I don't have a strong opinion. Yeah, he's good. He's he's perfect for Bill because he he has just enough. Well, he does have a lot of Hollywood insider, but he give he gives Bill just enough Hollywood insider that like Bill riffs on that, and I've I've always liked those pods a lot. And it is funny because like the. The zeitgeist of what is going on in Hollywood, it's like always that always gets discussed on on Bill's pod. So like when when Netflix stock price was soaring and they were the only game in town and they're going to monopolize all media, um, like Baloney would come on Bill's pod and all they would talk about is like streaming subs, streaming subs. Everybody's got to get in on the streaming race, and that's when Bill would say, "Oh yeah, the Netflix Netflix algorithm, they figured everything out." So like that was 2019, and then. In 2023, Baloney comes on and like says, "Yeah, streaming's basically dead." Like goes, you know, goes through all this stuff, and Bill totally agrees with them. So he, so basically, Baloney is coming on on the extremes of what's going on, which I think to to reference episode 18, I think the exact same thing happens with Derek Thompson, where Derek will come on Bill's pod when like the conversation has reached the the dinner party, the water cooler, and so. Like usually when it's reached that, the hype has kind of reached its peak and we will have we will go in the opposite direction of whatever they're talking about and they're hyping up when they're when they're on the pod. But see, I would be I would think that Bellamy is way better than Derek Thompson just because at least he's kind of like a plugged in insider and knows everything that's going on. Whereas Derek Thompson is just like almost like a I don't know. I don't want to call him puppet because that's a little bit too strong. But he's like the mouthpiece of like usually whatever person that wants to seemingly get some thoughts off off in some sort of reasonable format feels like. 
Yes, he doesn't push back at all. No, not in the slightest. So, which is like again, again, he's a journalist, though. So it's like it's almost not his job to. I mean, we can debate what the journalist, what a job of a journalist is. Yeah, and we, and for all the listeners, for if I listen to your podcast. Yeah, no. If if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast this far into the podcast, and you have not listened to episode eighteen, um, definitely listen to episode eighteen because if you're enjoying this conversation, you enjoy that conversation, and vice versa. So. Yeah, so that that's good. No, Derek, yeah, I think with him, like, he's, yeah, he sort of replaced Gladwell. Like, we talked about that in the last episode, too, but, um, like, have you had much experience with Gladwell over the years? Because, like, I feel like we're the same age where Gladwell was such a big deal back in the day, and, and now he's not all of a sudden. So that last book you wrote, what was it called? Um, gosh, I'm forgetting it. But I actually, coincidentally, I actually went to like this live talk just because my friend wanted to go and I just kind of tagged along. I'm blanking what this book is called. Um, hey, anyways, one? I, I can't remember whatever his last book was. I think his, it was his book from a few years ago. I cannot remember for what it was, but I have like a copy of it somewhere in my apartment. Um, anyways, on Gladwell. Like, I mean, it's just kind of funny that I feel like Similar to Richard, like what we discussed, it's this tricky thing of he was writing that weird TED Talk faux intellectual um, wave from like the early 2010s. Like, you know, like the outlier was like, even though like, the outlier is like such a silly idea. I'm not silly, but like it's almost like painfully obvious. Um, tipping point. I don't even remember the point of that anymore. And then what was the other one? Those like they were the big three: tipping point, outliers, and oh, blink. I think blink. Yeah, blink was like don't trust your intuition. Like, yeah, okay, cool. And that was that was my takeaway. I don't even remember the takeaways from blink anymore. But yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. Gladwell is just kind of. Yeah, I, I don't even know what to think about him anymore sometimes. No, you know, no, it's an interesting thought um, because I, I think looking back on it, like I was I was definitely harsh on him in in the episode with Richard for sure. And, you know, and, and I think we probably both um, me and him and, and probably you like you, you read those books, too. So like all of us read the books I, and and the books were interesting at the time. So maybe what was happening was it wasn't necessarily that the conclusions he was drawing were hard to draw maybe it maybe it was just interesting the narrative he was spinning and informing the readers of of interesting things that happened so maybe it wasn't that you know we can take these huge uh we can't take a lot of conclusions from what he's writing about we're just interested in learning about how what like bill gates became a computer engineer or how the tipping point, um, how art, how sneakers took off. Like, so maybe that was it where it, it was an interest. It was a entertaining narrative being spun about interesting historical trends being realized. And that was why the books were interesting, but they were cloaked in the, you can take scientific conclusions from these. And so maybe that is the part that has been disproven in the 2010s as the faux intellectual just went to faux 
And that's why it's not popular now because kind of some of the stories that he would tell are already told and he can't kind of go back to that well. I don't know. I mean, because clearly there's a reason why he's not as popular as he used to be. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just spinning nonsense. Um, I'm trying to think a lot. Maybe. Do you remember the Igon value controversy with Gladwell? Or do you know what that is? I don't think I do, no. So when I was in college, like I took like first year psych because like seemed like the cool thing to do and everyone was doing it at the time. And it's on, it's actually on his Wikipedia. Like he was talking about like a term called Igon values. And I guess whatever editor he had at whatever, whatever publisher he had did not know what Igon value was and they just kind of let it go. And like the, my, my psych professor, and this is like kind of common knowledge amongst like academics, like he's totally misusing icon values and he's even misspelling it in the book as to like how little due diligence there is on, the, on this type of, type of thing. Um, so yeah, that was, that's jokingly one part of it, I think, where I think he lost a little bit of credibility. Um, I feel like his books became less and less popular. And maybe he's had less interesting ideas. So that could be another. And this is just me just like asking you, like, do you remember when TED Talks used to be this big thing and now they're not anymore? Definitely. Like, why, why did TED Talks die out? Well, did they become too formulaic? Which, which would extend to 30 for 30s. Did those become too formulaic? I don't feel like I feel like thirty three thirties are still fun. Like I I still love the Robin one. Um, I haven't watched like any of them recently. Big thirty for thirty. Yeah, I, I guess that's a good point. Not in the case anymore. The Last Dance, maybe, but I, I don't I don't know if that was necessary. That, 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 I don't count as a thirty for thirty. That's yeah, very exactly. different. It feels right. very different. It was also like the perfect storm of when to release it, i.e., the middle of COVID when we were all dying for content. Yeah, that was that. That's one to look back on of like this insane. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but I mean, I look back and I, I feel like Gladwell and TED Talks were like this thing from the early 2010s, and they've just kind of died out. And maybe it's like attentions. Maybe I feel like as well the long form narrative kind of thing has been just kind of usurped by podcasts. That could be it as well. Well, the people was, was, was this podcast ever that popular? Because he had his podcast, Revisionist History. But was that ever that popular? I don't think it was. I listened to a few and they were like, fine. Um, but not, nothing, nothing right home about. I don't know. Maybe he just ran out of material. Yeah, no, no. I think you, I think you hit a good point there that the, the long form narrative of actually. Like like a, a a podcast of TED Talks might be interesting, but actually sitting down to watch a TED Talk. Well, okay, so like let's let's go to Joe Rogan for example. So like he's obviously making waves with with the RFK interview, but but people the, the Joe Rogan I think people are interested in that because it's sort of unpredictable how the conversation can go. So I think he's the number one podcaster by far, and he has on he has on a variety of guests, talks a variety of subjects where. Maybe if you're if you're going to sit down to watch a video, like you could watch Joe Rogan's podcast, um, and maybe pe- maybe people in general would choose that over a TED Talk because they figure the TED Talk is more predictable and they can maybe research that on their own 
as opposed to listening to someone talk about it for half an hour. So maybe the patience, the, the, the collective society patience for getting to a conclusion is less than it used to be. Um, just the way this society has developed into this very on-demand culture where we can search for everything on our phone in five seconds. And we're more gravitating towards podcasts that are either unpredictable or with a person like Bill Simmons or with, with you, with Andy and Ryan and not just you, like everybody, but like you're, you're listening to podcasts to have you you like the chemistry, you like the person um, and you're doing that. It's familiar to you as opposed to this foreign Ted talk about a subject that and eh, I could just research this on my own and not listen to this random person talking about it. So for example, like, I guess it's actually funny to me now that you pointed out that the podcast format feels almost formulaic now that you usually have like a get like a main host and a guest and they just kind of talk about a topic. Um, because I also listen to a podcast called Philosophize This, which is like usually a lecture on philosophy, which I actually quite enjoy. But um because I feel like like Gladwell's TED Talks. And even his um, his podcast, like these like, almost like explainers of things, and maybe that's just not a thing that is as popular in this day and age, unless it's like a hot topic, like the um, the Theranos thing from a few years back, because there's that hot podcast involved there. I'm just speculating right now. Well, no, I think that's a good point because is the is the is the Twitter thread the evolutionary podcast? Because that's where you get the explainers, right? You, you get a 20-thing Twitter thread that ex, that explains, quote-unquote, the subject you're interested in, includes some pictures, some videos, so you have some visual stimulation, audio stimulation, as opposed to I'm committing 30 minutes to listening to something that I may or may not be interested in. By the like, way, sorry, God, I can't believe, I can't believe we live in a society now where a Twitter thread is the – source of knowledge and things but i also kind of get it now that's just funny i mean we're, we're in a twitterized society right now it's so our attention spans are fucking shot oh I totally I, I i i'm the type of guy that like used to pride itself on being a reader and like i received like this lovely book and i still like am like 10 pages deep and i got it for like christmas and i'm just like it's pathetic it's brutal. I'm, I'm the same way. I used to read way more. As I'm talking to you right now, I'm looking at several books on my coffee table that I have read a little bit, little bit of and I want to read more of. But it's it's hard now because if you're in, you know, like, I, and I think like for my for my mental health and well-being, I should probably take a break from Twitter. But, you know, I, I have I have a few different Twitter accounts that I'm on and I don't want to do that for a variety of reasons this podcast being one of them so it's tough but like yeah i think in general i it's a simple explanation but i think i think that might be the the cleanest explanation for why ted talks have dropped out is that our it's it's one of many things that our attention spans aren't allowing us to do and and i would even say the same thing for like tv now i mean the if tv is not grabbing you um, you you have your phone and you have your Twitter and you have your Instagram to immediately check as opposed to watching and being invested in the show. And I, I think that's probably hurting content, I would imagine. Oh, totally. It's 
I'm trying to think of a good example. So I listened to some, so I watched, um, I, I know she gets a tough rap from the community, but I actually sometimes enjoy Mallory Rubin's geekiness for the topic. Mm, okay. And anyways, point being, I was watching um, Dune. Uh, so I was, I watched Dune and I listened to the Dune like extra podcast that she and Joanna Robertson did. Robinson, Robinson, Robertson, Robinson. And um, they talked about how um, back when Dune came out, it was still kind of COVID. So it was like, there was this giant temptation to watch Dune at home versus go to theaters. And the talk and the kind of commentary that it's so hard to like, even like at home now, like sit through a movie without actually mm-hmm. like pulling your phone just because you get distracted for some reason. Do you, do you get that too or no? Oh, or are you like wired in, wired in during a movie? Oh, no, no. I, I attempt to be wired in, but do I feel the need and desire to check the phone? 100% I do. Yeah, exactly. But that's the funny thing is that I don't get that in theaters because I feel like you just put your phone away. Like it's understood that you do that. Interesting. So maybe maybe theaters could re-apex in a couple years if people say the only way I'm going to be immersed in this movie without my phone is going to a theater. Potentially. I feel like I definitely pay attention to every single movie that I'm watching in theater versus um, versus ones I watch at home. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way, and it's so, it's so sad. It's so sad to say that, but uh, but I have to admit it, and that's kind of where we are. So then you know. The, because see that then the question could become okay so if if things are getting this bad and like we're like self-aware enough to talk about it but maybe some people aren't as much but like if things are getting this bad then should we just not like should i just not have a smartphone you know should you know but like you can't the problem is you can't really do that in society right as it stands right now so like if i don't have twitter how am i going to get my news because that's what I use for news. So there, there's like different things that I have to rejigger, which I guess I could, but I'm okay for now with the shorter attention span having access to the technology. But I sort of wish that I could have it both ways, but you know, obviously I can't. <laughs> so, you know, jokingly, you know what the way to do it is? Christopher Nolan apparently famously does not have a smartphone. But instead, he just has an army of personal assistants who have smartphones. It's like that—that's the feeling. The point, dude. Because he was—he was bragging about it in some interview, but then he mentioned that one, saying, "Oh, like if I need anything looked up, I just ask my personal assistant." And it's like, dude, like this is why you can live without a smartphone. Oh, that's amazing. Um, oh, th- this reminded me. I have a question for you. So I, I've been, I've been debating this among people recently. And I'm sure. curious your thoughts as an intellectually curious and a uh, deep thinker. So I, I think one of the, the major problems that society has right now that not a lot of people are talking about is that we're not sufficiently debating the role of technology in our lives. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the, the human psyche and body and mind, well, mind really, but we're, we're not, we haven't evolved and whatever, what you want to call it, created, evolved, whatever. We don't have the capabilities to interpret and adjust to the changes in technology as fast as they're happening. I would, I would say it starts with TV where people are watching several hours of TV a day. There's 
authority figures on TV telling them things. Um, so we're not used to that. Uh, we're definitely not used to the phones having access to the internet at all times of the day. Um, obviously the kids being a big deal of being, you know, everybody's seen the kids on the iPhone. So I, I feel like as a society, we, we, there's so many other problems going on that we focus on and, you know, maybe we probably should, but I guess in an ideal society, we'd have less problems to like less conflicts to focus on. And we could, we could take a little bit of a breather from everyday life, take a step back and say, how do we want um, man's relationship with technology to evolve over time? Because obviously technology can be amazing for a variety of reasons. It can save lives. It's an information highway. You can connect to people um, from, you know, countries away. So like that is obviously great. But should there be more, um, you know, I, I don't want to say regulations around it, but like, sh should we be thinking of technology as this very like consumeristic advertising? Should we have regulations around that? So like, do you, you kind of know what I'm getting at, which, which is that it's such a profound change in our lives, yet we're really not putting any uh, chokeholds on it. We're just letting it evolve. And I'm not sure that's the best method for having a better society in the future, if that makes sense. So I've a few years ago, I actually read this fascinating article about the technological adoption trends of the Amish and like why the Amish are the way they are. And long story short, the way that the Amish work is that they essentially analyze every single bit of technology and ask themselves, does it further our goals of accomplishing X, Y, Z community values, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like for example, did you know that the Amish actually will use cell phones in cases of emergency? Like they have nothing against that because it's like in this moment it is, it is valuable for us to have a cell phone and therefore use it and therefore call an ambulance to save someone. Like that is like, like it is hundred percent in this case, technology is a good thing. So they're actually not completely like out of the loop. And I, what I think is important here is that I feel like we as a society just kind of adopt things just because it's there. And of course you could argue the free market is, says that obviously people are using it in the first place, but I think some intentionality around technology goes a long way. It's the way that I would personally handle it and the way I think about it, but it does concern me sometimes about the way that you kind of see technology being adopted sometimes or just kids with like technology devices or yeah, it just freaks me out sometimes too. So I totally get where you're coming from. Okay. Yeah. Because it just seems like there's, and, and I could even, I don't totally want to go like too like, I'm not going political, but like I, I've heard it, even if, even if we want to leave the internet out of it, just like the TV, the concept of, a, a man or a woman like in your living room talking to you as an authority figure. Like I think like the human psyche is, is designed to kind of believe in that. So you have these people that are on these sort of political teams um, really aggressively. And part of that is because there's these force of personalities that it feels like, you know, they're, they're your, they're your leader, right? Like five feet in front of you. So I think I think that's an interesting kind of how we've evolved. 
and then I would bring that I would bring that back into a little bit of like okay so the the word of the last month on Reddit is parasocial. I don't I don't know how the hell this happened, but every time now when there's a Rosillo post in the sub or when there's you know someone someone's talking about Bill in a certain way somebody on the sub like clearly goes like you've got you've got a parasocial relationship with Bill like you're you're too online but it's like I don't I don't even I don't disagree that that's like a bad thing because if you're listening to Bill Simmons for five hours a week like that is a very big part of your life is it not so it's back to what we went we were earlier but like it it, it it makes sense that there's a huge subreddit dedicated to Bill Simmons and Dan Lemitard because these are big parts of people's lives. Now, you could have a debate among whether that should be a thing or not, but it is a thing. People are listening to this for a while, and there should be an outlet for that. So that's another one of those things where it's like when people criticize the posts on the sub, I, I totally disagree with that. I think any anybody should post anything they want to. And if you're in the subreddit calling out other people for being too online, then what are you? Because you're you're online in the same sub as me, you, but you're you're criticizing how I'm reacting to the same content that you're also reacting to. I guess you just don't like my reaction to it. It's very weird. Like I, I've been finding this recently in the sub a lot where people are very intensely criticizing other people for being too online but they are too online themselves. So, so is that like an internal recognition that they themselves are too online, but they don't want to admit it to themselves. And so they call out other people for it and hide it in themselves. Like I just, I just don't get this whole concept of that. Well, first off, I am, I am personally very pro the idea of just connecting with everyone online around shared interests. Like I feel like that's located the genesis of the internet. Like the idea of talking about anything with anyone. Like that's why we almost, I feel like that was like one of the original selling points of the greatest of the internet. Um, listen, I, I, I personally think the people that call this parasocial was kind of this weird elitist thing. I mean, sure, you can kind of chill out about it, but fuck it, like everybody has their hobbies that people do what they want. I'm very pro people posting whatever they want online as long as it's not hurtful to people. So I'm... The idea of it being parasocial seems silly to me. Well, and, and the fact that they're calling people out from um, the same online forum that I'm in, like, so like that's, that's, that's also weird and really hypocritical. That's what's weird. Now, now, having said that, you know, is it is it fair for people to question the the concept of the R. Bill Simmons podcast? Yes, but look, like, if people are listening to this and people listen to the pod, like the the point is an, it's an extension of the subreddit having a deeper conversation with people than you would in the sub. And so I think very clearly people who are listening um, are, are aware of that going on. So, um, all right, man, do, do we need to cover anything else here? Uh, is there anything else that, that you're hot on in, in the Simmons universe? Or no, any, honestly, this is, this is the Argo <laughs> Simmons podcast, but it, it's a free flowing conversation that, that can, that, that occasionally touches on mature subjects. No, man, I think we've, uh, I feel like I've covered everything that I kind of wanted to get off my chest or that we kind of talked about previously. And I think I'm good to end it here, man. Word. All right, man. Well, this was, uh, this was a ton of fun. I think, uh, I think we'll have to have you back at some point if you're so obliged, uh, when 
when you're next hot on something or maybe like a fantasy football preview or something, we'll, uh, do you, do you listen to the Bill Simmons and uh, when Matt, Matthew Barry comes on? Absolutely. I mean, for fun, but absolutely not. Bill has terrible, terrible bad football takes. Well, listen and then do the opposite of it. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I think he said he talked about having four DSTs. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And I loved he a couple years ago, he he infamously had a podcast with Matthew Barry after his team was like four and oh to um to brag that his team was this good and to ask him if his team could go undefeated. And, and then Bill, I, I think um, Bill was describing his team, and then uh, Barry goes, "Oh, is, so is that a t- is that that's a ten team league?" And then Bill like pauses for two seconds, and then goes, "No, it's an eight man." <laughs> eight man is so absurdly. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're aware about that. That's such an absurdly easy league, and like it's ridiculous. Oh yeah, the the eight man is is totally absurd. Although, see, I'm also like I. I've played in the, the the fourteen to like plus is tough too. I, I really think the ten to twelve is the sweet spot. If you're if you're playing in like a fourteen, like I have before, I will in the future, but like that's it's a lot. Twelve is the sweet spot for me personally. Yeah, I like twelve. Um, I like and then it also depends too on like how many positions you have because I'm uh, I'm I I like the leagues where like I like leagues where there's very little bench people no, sorry I, I said that wrong i like leagues where there aren't that many good players on free agents like i i want everybody to be like 25 percent or less owned basically got it at least um, even more than that i i also like it i also like a tight waiver wire i just feel like i've never played in a properly competitive league where people are super wired in um, I usually just play like friends and family leagues, that type of thing, or just like just like usually just friends. Oh, now and do yeah, you do, do you do waivers money or do you do waiver uh, like placement? Um, I've done both. Uh, the current league that I I call I guess my my main league is waiver order, but I'm trying to push them to do uh, push them to do waiver budget. Oh, nice. Yeah, isn't that so much better? So much better. Yeah, you can't you can't go back to the order after you do the yeah because the, the like uh, so I'm holding a top waiver spot for like for like six weeks like are you kidding me? But it also creates this weird pressure to not like it, it almost creates this incentive to do inaction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because you're just really? waiting for a great guy. Like, oh, is it, is it worth it for me to burn this spot? And then all of a sudden, six weeks goes by and you didn't pick up anybody good. Exactly, and that's even. For someone like me, I, I argue that's like even worse. So I prefer to have it the way. Again, budget makes so much more sense than I personally prefer. Yeah, I'm the. Um, I took over commissioner uh, for my work league, and um, it was. They, there are some boomers in it, although some left. But um, basically, like this was, it had the most boomerish rules of all time, and I had to like slowly work in some stuff. So we just put in uh dollars and, and it's just such a it's such a game changer so much better it's like come on man like you guys you guys got to get to the modern century here i still have to say i've never done an auction drop and that's the big thing i want to do next have you done a super flex league i've also wanted to do one of those i have not 
Okay, the Superflex, uh, that's that's a fun one. We I, I tried that last year. It's it's fun because it actually makes QBs important. Interesting. I like the idea of that a lot because obviously I'm I'm pretty big on the late QB. Yeah, typically. right. It's like why would you take one early? Yeah, so it really makes it it, it makes it so that um, okay, so like say for example, if you do a Superflex in a twelve or fourteen team league. Um, actually, I don't know if you can do it in a 14 as much because that's 28, but, but like basically every, every, every starting QB and every potential, like close to being a starting QB is rostered because the QB is such an advantage over the other people you could put in the flex. And there's like a, like a trade market develops among the lower tier QBs, like the 20th, the 30th guys, because you're trying to figure out like, okay, who's my second guy? And then obviously having a great QB is really valuable because ultimately they're, they're, you know, they're, you know, you want great, you want as many great QBs as you can. So yeah, so the super flex, the super flex is fun. The super flex is a lot of fun. I think that's a, I wouldn't be surprised if in like five years, that's more standard is having the super flex. I think Simmons or someone has said that at some point. And I, from what, because I personally have, I like, I'll check out fantasy pros and stuff like that. And it just seems like it's way more fun to have quarterbacks not be marginalized as much as they are right now in fantasy football. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's, it's like, I, you know, why is Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers after, now he didn't do that great last year, but like Aaron Rodgers after his MVP season is, isn't even being drafted. Like, yeah. That just feels spiritually wrong. It's not right. Yeah. No, I totally exactly. agree. All right, man. Let's maybe um let me let me get you out of here on on this question. Um J Jay Powell, underrated, overrated, properly rated. I think underrated. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> why why do you say underrated? I think so first off, I feel like I have loved the way he's approached the economy so far and that he's been data dependent, clear signaling, no leaks, or if there are leaks, they are, in my humble opinion, probably sanctioned leaks, like leaking it to Tiermos at the Wall Street Journal. Um, like he's been flexible. He hasn't been too much of an ideologue of any sort. Feels like he's threading the needle so far. I feel like he gets a lot of flack online and yeah, there are things he probably could have done better, but I don't know. I just feel like he's done a good job so far. That's my very rudimentary take on. Yeah. I'll, I'll to eat my, I mean, I, I've been, I've definitely been very critical of him because I didn't, I mean, the fact that inflation was so high, I mean, we weren't doing anything for a while. And then the whole not thinking about, not thinking about raising rates and then it, it happened a lot sooner than that, but look, I look, I'll, I'll, I will change my opinions when the facts change. If we avoid, a, if we avoid a recession, and we actually land the plane, I mean, you got to give credit. Like, how, how can I not give credit to the guy? We had, we had COVID, we had all the spending, we had high inflation. He's we had just, oil jump. So, like, I, you know, if we avoid a recession with all these rate hikes, then absolutely. Now, I think the jury is still out on that, but you know, so, so far. It's, you know, it could be a lot worse. It could be so much worse. 
everything over the past few years could have been so much worse. Um, and I feel like he's just, you know, he could have been, for sure he could have been better, but I suddenly get the feeling that he's been viewed as he did a terrible job. And I don't know if that's right to say, but maybe, but maybe I'm pulling Rusilla here and giving a straw man argument. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I think this will be good. So we'll we'll post this. I'll probably post this uh, tomorrow, and then um, yeah, I mean, if you if you have an account or if you want to uh, join in from a new account, um, you know, pop some comments in. But yeah, for everybody listening here, I mean, you you just heard the conversation. We we have a fun time. Chat about anything you want to, basically. So if you liked the episode, definitely, I'm gonna post this tomorrow in the sub. Comment in the sub on uh what you liked we want to get listeners there um definitely you know tweet us that that you liked it give us some comments and then if anybody is is wanting to come on i mean like you know you just heard the conversation it's a fun time uh we talk about a lot and we'd love to have more guests on so uh mike this this was fantastic i'm so glad you took the time uh we 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 ran up i think this might be the record so we ran up a nice uh a nice pod. I think fans will be uh, will be very happy to be listening to this. And uh, yeah, any any final uh, closing comments here? That was a great time. I uh, we've been talking about doing this for ages. So I was happy we finally got in the books. Fantastic. All right. Well, cheers to all of the listeners, and uh, we will see you on a future episode shortly. <laughs>